Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to the book of Titus, Titus chapter 1. We continue our study through the New Testament and also through our study through the pastoral epistles. Now, it's very important to remember this is Paul to Titus, just like we have Paul to Timothy, one-on-one letter. We also have this one-on-one letter, except it's Paul to Titus another vessel of the Lord that God is using in the capacity of shepherd. Uh, this is written around 66 AD. This is a year before 2 Timothy. So on the, on the timeline of scripture, this is about a year before 2 Timothy is written. Now, the first mention of Titus is in 2 Corinthians. Now, this 2 Corinthians, that's written in about 57 AD. So you see that this ministry of Titus because this letter was written in around 66 AD, the ministry of Titus is at least nine years. Could be more, probably more, but it's at least nine years. And if you've been walking with us for a, uh, for a while, you remember our study in the book of Acts, how we make mention of Paul and those in his tiny bubble, the little bubble, not the big bubble. The big bubble is like the church, the saints, uh, exhortations to the to the saints. But then you have a smaller bubble, which is like ministry leaders. But then you have the tiny, tiny bubble where you have the next generation of leadership, the next generation of pastors and ministry leaders and elders uh, to serve in shepherding capacity, such as Timothy, such as Titus. But in our study in the book of Acts, you remember how we would make mention of yo-yo, how, you know, uh, 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 someone like Timothy or Titus would go out to, you know, different regions of the area. Uh, and, you know, give messages from Paul and they would come back and report and say, hey, Paul, this is what's happening. This is what's going down. This is, you know, the saints are in, in good health. Everything's fine with the saints, you know, pray for them in this regard, pray for them here. And then you see little mentions of, you know, uh, 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 households. And it's so beautiful because you see a, a, a picture of koinonia. You see a picture of Ecclesia, unity within the body of Christ, within sound doctrine, under the covering of formula. Uh, Very, very beautiful, very, very holy formula. Now, this yo-yo where, you know, like Timothy would go out, Titus would go out. Uh, they wouldn't go out and stay out. They would go out, stay for a certain period of time, and then come back to Paul and report. So they would give, uh, Paul would send Timothy, Paul would send Titus uh, spe- with special messages of exhortation, and someti- sometimes with uh, 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 provisions, sometimes with financial assistance and money that were given by the saints to help the body up. Uh, the body caring for the body. And so, and then when they would return, like when Titus and Timothy would return to Paul, they would give reports, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. They would give reports to Paul and just, you see a picture of the body caring for the body. And remember, Paul's not like the average bear and how he teaches, he doesn't teach the average bear. And you see how Titus, his care for the saints. Now, this care that he has for the saints It's as given to him by God. A gift of the Lord is the care of the saints. And you see that among shepherds, full package shepherds. You see in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16, Paul writes and says that it is the Lord. God put this care into the heart of 
Titus. Now, understand that pastoral care, that's a gift from the Lord. Pastoral care is a gift from the Lord. It's not like a job, like, you know, uh, I want to do good for my community, so I think I'm going to be a pastor. No, because pastoral care, full package pastoral care, that is a gift from the Lord. Those who are called to shepherd, who God calls, he does equip with this special care. Titus had it. Timothy had it. Timothy had it in a very unique way. I shouldn't say unique because Paul says of Timothy, there is no one as like-minded who sincerely cares for your state. But you see, Titus had it as well. The care of the saints is in accordance to the word of God. It's very holy, the holy blueprints. You see, it's not care according to the world. Because you see, you know, when it's care according to the world, that's why like Habitat for Humanity. You know, it's caring for people according to the ways of the world. You know, Habitat for Humanity, you know, uh, are you hungry? Here's some food. You know, you, 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 you need shelter? Okay, here's this. You know, it's, you know, care unto humanity. And there's nothing wrong with that. And there's certainly ministries where, you know, it's, you know, shelter minis- sheltering ministries, uh, feeding ministries. Those are absolutely beautiful. But remember in our study in the Corinthian letters and even in, in, in the epistles where, you know, any time there is a ministry of the Lord, there must be a means by which salvation and growth, there has to be the door for salvation and growth. Because remember in John 6, how yes, the Lord fed multitudes. In John chapter 6, the Lord felt, uh, fed multitudes of people. But then in that same chapter, you see how thousands Thousands and thousands of people become 12, become 12. How is it that in one single chapter, the followers of Jesus go from thousands and thousands and thousands to just 12? Well, because at the beginning, the Lord says, you know, Jesus says, you know, uh, you know, to, to feed, gives the, the command to his disciples to feed the, the multitudes and they do exactly that. But then as he continues in his journey in one chapter, he turns around and says to the people, he says, you guys are following me because your bellies are full. That's what you like. You like the presents, like the gifts. You like the gimmies. You like the the presents of the Lord. But you do not like the presence of the Lord. There's a big difference between presence of the Lord and presence of the Lord. One is, you know, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? I get the gifts. I get the goodies. The presence of the Lord. My belly's nice and full. But the other is the presence of the Lord, which is intimacy with him. And Jesus says to them, you guys are following me because your bellies are full. Remember, he's the door. He is the door, capital D. No one comes to the Father but through him. He is the door. He is the gate. He is the way. And then so he says to the people, you guys are following me because your bellies are full, but you don't like what I say. And then all of a sudden, the thousands start to leave him. Multitudes of people, they followed him no more. And he kept speaking. Jesus kept walking. He kept speaking. And then finally, he turns to the the disciples. And he's, you know, does this offend you? As he continues to teach truth, does this offend you? And it's so sad because in John 6 says they followed him among his disciples. They followed him no more. And then there were 12. You see? So it's not to say that like sheltering ministries, feeding ministries, 
That's those are not bad things per se. What's bad when it becomes solely feeding, solely sheltering, because that's straight up habitat for humanity. That's humanity caring for humanity. That is a worldly example of caring for another person. That, that that's for, you know in the cause of humanity. You see, you can have a sheltering, you, you can help somebody with shelter, you can help somebody with food, but if you do not give them Jesus Christ, if you do not present to them the door, and once they enter the door, there always has to be a means for growth and maturity. If you never present the door, a person dies without Jesus Christ, yeah, their belly's going to be nice and full, but you know what? They're still going to burn in hell. You see, that's when a lot of ministries get into trouble because it come, it becomes all about the work instead of the Lord of the work. So when we look at this pastoral care, it's very important to keep in mind and remember that is it is in accordance not to the ways of the world. It is in accordance to the ways of the word of God. Yes, feeding ministries, perfectly okay. But remember, there must be the door. And when people enter the door, there must be a means for growth and maturity in Christ according to holy formula. Otherwise, outside of that, we're talking habitat habitat for humanity. And if Jesus Christ is never given, don't call it a ministry. Don't call it a ministry of the Lord. Call it care for humanity. But if a person dies without Jesus Christ, they're still going to burn in hell. So when we look at pastoral care, shepherding, it's very important to, to understand that, yes, these are people who have walked through the door. I mean, the, the shepherd caring for people who have walked through the door. And then at the same time, remember, just like it just so happens, we mentioned this on Wednesday. You can't throw anybody through the door. You see, nobody can be thrown through the door. A person has to come to the door by their own choice. Male, female, young, old, it doesn't matter. A person comes to the door and enters, enters the door of their own choice. Now, once they're in the door, now you get into shepherding and pastoral care. You see, to enter the door, that's like an evangelizing ministry where you tell people about the door or, or preaching about the door. You see, and then people come through the door and then once they're through the door, now you get to enter into shepherding ministry teaching, caring for the flock of God. And these are things that Paul had. These are things that Titus had, Timothy had. Now, when we talk about shepherding, specifically pastoral ministry, always, always, always male. Coverings, always male. These type of coverings, always male. The Bible indicates that there are female coverings, like the womb. The womb is a covering unto a child. Uh, Mothers as a covering unto children. You know, women teaching women, very beautiful. But we must understand these blueprints as outlined in the Word of God. You see, because anytime there is uh, conduct outside of the Word of God, it's exactly that. It's outside of the Word of God, understanding that the Word became flesh. See, it's very important to understand these blueprints in accordance to the holy formula. Because remember, these are one-on-one letters. Paul wrote a letter to Pastor Timothy once and twice, first and second Timothy. And then he wrote a letter to Pastor Titus one-on-one. 
It's the Lord who leaked these letters because the Bible does say, yes, submit to the pastor because they watch over your soul. But then the Lord leaked these letters so that you and me, so that we can know this guy, he's qualified. This guy, he's not qualified. This lady, she's not not qualified. You see? Pastoral ministry. Male only. You see? Then you have somebody like Chloe. Beautiful, beautiful Chloe. Ministry unto women. Women to women. Then you have, it's like, wow, you know, that's a teaching ministry. But don't forget the beautiful teaching ministry that women have in preparing the next generation of pastors, such as Lois and, 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 uh, 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 I, I forgot, uh, 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 Eunice and, Eunice and, Eunice and, uh, Eunice and Lois. Don't forget Mama and Grandma of Timothy and how they prepared the way for this for a future pastor, son and grandson. And in Galatians chapter two verse three, we see of Titus that he's Gentile. He's Gentile. It's powerful, the work of the Lord. Remember how. Paul's ministry, how the Lord called him to specifically to go to the Gentiles. But remember the four, the blueprints that the Lord gave to the Jew first. You see, to the Jew first. And so Paul, first thing he would do when he went entered town, go to synagogue. Straight up like the, the, the hornet's nest. He'd go to synagogue and reason and prove from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. You see? And then people that the uh, people would come to Christ, uh, 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 non-believing uh, 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 Greek Jews, uh, or, or uh, you know uh, people who were the, the Jews, but then people who were non-Jews but aligned themselves to the Lord. Now in synagogue they had different chambers. One was like you know the the Jews, male Jews, and then another chamber was like in an area was female Jews. And then another area were, uh, 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 uh believing, gr- uh, uh, Greeks who believed in, uh, uh, God, uh, in, believed it. Do you remember? Do you know how in the law, kind of hit pause there. So I don't hit pause, but just in the mind, hit pause there. So do you remember how in our studies in the Old Testament, how there are statutes and stipulations for Gentiles to be grafted into the camp of Israel. So we see that in our studies in the Old Testament. But that model is in the church age. That was still in place. So you see that reflected in synagogue, where in the synagogue there would be a chamber for male Jews, but then there would be another chamber for female Jews, but then there would be another chamber where Gentiles would be. But they were Gentiles who believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when Paul would enter the synagogue, that's what, that was customary for him. When Paul would enter synagogue, all kinds of different ears were on him. He was in earshot of everybody. Remember, he had Timothy circumcised so that Timothy could enter synagogue with him. Because Timothy had to, you know, to experience, you know, you know, Paul just, you know, straight up says to Timothy, hey, you're going to watch me handle business. You're going to, not in a prideful way, not in a prideful sense, like, you know, you're going to see me win this argument. No, you're going to see me win souls for Christ and using Torah, using the prophets, 
using the word of God, using scripture. And you're going to see me engage and you're going to see me win, not for the sake of winning an argument. You're going to see me win souls. And so when Paul would go into synagogue, he would, you know, people would speak, you know, that they would have like a, the uh, the main teacher who would who would teach, the, the rabbi who would teach. But then they would have like, you know, like a, a Q&A session. You know, does anybody have any questions or does anybody have any any comment? Now, it, it, when people would comment from there, usually it was the older guys. Usually it was the older guys and it was to expound and build upon. And so, you know, somebody would say, you know, the, the, the rabbi would say, does anybody have any comments? And so, you know, just picture Paul standing up saying, yes, I have something to say. And then boom. You know, meanwhile, you know, he told Timothy about five minutes prior, watch me, Timothy. You're going to watch me engage. You're going to watch me handle business. And so little Timmy for 14 years, you know, under in the, in the, in the tiny bubble of Paul. And so little Timmy got to see that. And so what would happen now, remember, there's different chambers. There's the chamber of the men, the chamber of the women, and then the chamber of the Gentiles. Now the Gentiles, they weren't Jewish. But they believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, much like Jethro in the Old Testament. You know, not Jewish, but grafted in. And here in synagogue, not Jewish, but yet grafted in. And what's so powerful is that when Paul would do that and reason with the Jews in synagogue, you know, yes, some Jews became Christians, but you know who the majority of them were? The Gentiles. The Gentiles who believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not to say that, you know, the, the Gentiles became Christians and stopped believing in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No. What happened is that the Lord saw their, their devotion to the Lord. Much like Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. How he made his alms, his prayers and alms were seen by the Lord. And the Lord says, Peter, you know, I'm going to arrange a meeting for you, Peter. Peter. Go, go to the house of Cornelius. Well, he didn't say it like that. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. I mean, that's kind of the gist of what happened. But remember, Cornelius sent his servants out and Peter was praying, you know, kill and eat Peter. I'm paraphrasing chapter 10 of Acts, but that's what happens. And it's so powerful to see how the Lord works. How the Lord works, how his spirit, because to be a Gentile, and enter synagogue, that's a big deal. I mean, to be Jew and enter synagogue, that's that's one thing. That was kind of like the status quo. But to be Gentile and enter synagogue, that's something different. That's like a, 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 a public acknowledgement and a public showing that as Gentile, a person is denying his ways as Gentile and denying his ways as Gentile and entering synagogue, which is a public showing of, yes, I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm entering synagogue because I want to soak up everything I want I can about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was, it, it was a pretty big statement. I shouldn't say a pretty big statement. It was a very big statement. And the Lord saw that. The Lord saw that. He knows that's a big deal. I mean, have you ever been in a church where 
people get into kind of like you know it's um it it becomes like I don't know how to say it. it just becomes like you know something you do you know you go to church on Sunday it just becomes like okay yeah get in the car go to church on Sunday and we're just gonna get into the minutia of things and you know and go and hear the word and have a period of singing and we're gonna pray and see you see people okay you know it just becomes like you know like I don't want to say commonplace because it shouldn't be commonplace but that's what can happen. It, 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 that's what can happen. It just becomes like, you know, like nothing really special about it. And I hate saying that. But, you know, we're, we're like, you know, somebody can get into this minutia where it's like, well, it's just, you know, it's just the norm. It's what I do on Sundays. It's what I do that that's just that's just how it is. Where it loses its sizzle. But then for the Gentile. To deny his ways and do, you know, walk into synagogue, understanding that he can't enter the chamber of the Jews. And so he would enter the chamber of the Gentiles. I mean, in accordance to the law, that chamber of the Gentiles was kind of looked down upon. Because, oh, come on, they're just Gentiles. They're not Jews. You know, look, I'm, I'm pure blood. You know, I'm, I'm like hardcore Jew. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm of the tribe of Dan. Oh, I'm of, you know, uh, Manasseh. You know, they're, they're, they're just, you know, uh, yeah, they, they, they want to, they want to be like us, but they're not really like us. So they were kind of shunned, kind of like looked down upon. You see? But the Lord saw the heart knowing that that's a big deal. And so when Paul would enter synagogue and speak, and you see hearts coming to the Lord, responding to the Holy Spirit, you know, it was largely the Gentiles. Largely the Gentiles. There were some Jews too, but it was largely the Gentiles. And so now when we see that Titus himself Non-Jew. He's not Jewish. He's Gentile. And yet, called by the Lord to serve in this capacity as shepherd of both Jew and Gentile. Now remember, in Christ, there is no Jew and Gentile. But that's in Christ. You see, when people don't understand that, think of how that can be looked down upon. Oh, I, 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 don't, want, I don't want Titus to be my teacher I don't want Titus to be my teacher because he's not Jewish. You see? But in Christ, there is no Jew. There is no Gentile. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's powerful. It goes against hardcore. It goes against the religious establishment. And I love that. Because that's how the Lord works. Old Testament and New Testament. Sometimes you see, I shouldn't say sometimes, Old Testament, New Testament, you see in how an establishment becomes, well, established. <laughs> kind of like a religious establishment. Like, oh, we are the priesthood. Therefore, you will do whatever we say. And that became the norm. Where when you understand formula, you realize like, I, 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 you know, like Eli, I cannot submit to Eli. I mean, you know, if we were in Eli's day. Yes, he's the high priest. Yes, he can, he does all these things in his conduct and, you know, his service. But there's wickedness in his heart, wickedness in his sons. You see, 
It's dangerous to, you know, uh, 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 submit, you know, completely to uh, uh, Eli, the high priest. He's the high priest. Why should there be submission? Why should there not be submission to him? He's the high priest. Why should there not be? And you know the reason? When the formula is wrong in Eli. Remember, the, the Lord, in the law, the Lord speaks to the high priest. In accordance to the law, the Lord speaks to the high priest. But with Eli, he was silent. And it specifically says, in those days, there was no widespread revelation. Now, since there was no widespread revelation, what does that say about Eli? Because if there's no, if, if everybody's in submission to Eli, he's the religious establishment. He's the high priest. I mean, priests would go to him for help. Priests would go to, you know, the, the Levitical priesthood. They, he was kind of like the kind of picture, like, you know, like a head pastor, so to speak. It's not pastoral ministry, but in, in a similar sense, in terms of if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in Leviticus in terms of uh, um, overseer. Now, people would go to him. I don't want to sound carnal in saying this, but he was kind of like a shot caller. And if somebody's going to serve in that capacity and biblically be a shot caller, so to speak, and I don't like saying that, but just for sake of argument and painting this picture, we'll say that. If he's going to be qualified to serve in that capacity, he better be dead. And I don't mean dead like, you know, like dead, dead, like under the earth. I mean dead in terms of sacrificially living unto the Lord. But that didn't happen. That wasn't the case with Eli. And since that was the case with Eli, who kind of, he was an overseer of a specific region. And the Bible says there was no widespread revelation in those days. The Lord was silent. You see, the Lord was silent. And it's sad. It breaks my heart. But it's, it's, it's not difficult to understand why he was silent. I mean, look who was overseer. It's kind of like an Old Testament example of the defunct leadership of Corinth. The defunct leadership of Corinth, it's like, well, how, how can the spirit move in a, in, 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 in a, in a body, in a fellowship that is leaven? You see, the leaven has to be removed and then the spirit can start to work again. And then you start to see the gifts of the spirit. I mean, remember, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, it's not written in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. It's written in later chapters after the leaven's been separated, the remnant has been separated from the leaven. You see? A lot of times we look at, you know, passages. In the Corinthian letters, a lot of times we look at passages, but then... People forget, like, wait a second, this is post leaven. This is post leaven where, you know, after chapter five, we're talking remnant now. You see? I mean, the, the 100% of the, of the, of the saints in Corinth goes down to, we'll say, you know, I don't know a specific number, but, you know, just making a guesstimation, say it goes down to 30%. 
Say it goes down to 50%. Maybe it's 50-50 split. So, you know, you have 100% in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 100% in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Chapter 3, 100%. Chapter 4, 100%. Chapter 5, what's left? Maybe 50%? Maybe 60%? Maybe 30%? And so from chapter 5 on, we'll say 50-50. I mean, just for... Just to, to, to make it simple, we'll say 50-50. So if you have 100% in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, 4, and then, you know, boom, the hammer drops in chapter 5. Post chapter 5, from chapter 6 on, we're not talking about that whole lump. We're talking about 50%. It could be different. It could be 60%. It could be 30%. It could be 10%. But it's not 100% anymore. Now we're talking 50%. One one set of 50% is leaven. They're on the outside now. The other 50%, that's the remnant. It's a smaller chunk. So anytime you see a passage in Scripture from 1 Corinthians 6 or on to the end of 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, keep that in mind. We're not talking entire chunk. We're talking a remnant. You see? And, you know, to understand that and understand the framework of formula in accordance to um, covenants, old covenant, new covenant, in accordance to covenant and accordance to the rules of engagement, you see how the Lord is silent. It's completely understandable, understandable why the Lord is silent with when. Eli is, you know, head of the religious establishment. And because he's head of the religious establishment, when you see how, you know, there's no widespread revelation in those days, and it's easy to understand why there's no widespread revelation in those days. Why is it that the Lord was silent? You see? And then who is it that the Lord speaks to? Who is it that the Lord calls? Remember the prayers of Hannah? The prayers of beautiful Hannah? And what the the Lord opened her womb? And the prayers of Hannah, the Lord responded. She gave birth to little Samuel. You see? She trained up little Samuel as a little tiny boy. Made little priestly garments for him as a boy. Cared for him, nursed him. And then fulfilling her, her commitment to the Lord here, you know, he's put in service for you, Lord. You see, and he's put in service unto the Lord. And he's like a little pipsqueak, a little pipsqueak. How, you know, picture Eli looking, looking down on picture the sons of Eli looking down on Samuel. Oh, you're, you don't have our blood in you. So, you know, you're just a little pipsqueak. But who is it that the Lord saw? Who is it that the Lord responded to? Hannah and her little boy. I mean, the Lord was speaking to Samuel and Samuel didn't even know. He didn't even recognize. He was just like, you know, I heard a voice. And he goes to Eli. Eli, I heard a voice. Eli thought it was crazy. Like, oh, you know, just you're, you're crazy. Go back to bed. That happened multiple times. You see? And then finally the Lord spoke to Samuel. He says, you know, Samuel, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. 
And then the Lord spoke. And you know what it was? Judgment unto Eli and his sons. Picture that morning. That morning with Eli and, you know, at the, at the, at the, at the breakfast table. Oh, you know, how, how was that voice, Samuel? Put yourself in Samuel's sandals. How hard would that be? How difficult would that be? When you know what the voice says. And the voice, you know, you, the the voice, you know, identified as the Lord and you know what the Lord says. And then Eli asking, hey, Samuel, you know, what went down with, you know, what went down? Give me the report. What happened? Put yourself in, you know how difficult that would be for little Samuel. Remember, he's speaking to the high priest. You see? He says he's going to kill you, Eli. You and your son. Your son's multiple, plural. You see? Judgment. And it's so beautiful to understand who is it that the Lord speaks to. And it's it's kind of simple. You know, it's kind of simple because when you look at Moses and Joshua and, you know, you look at uh, Balaam even and Balaam's demise. I mean, you see when the Lord speaks to somebody, it's beautiful. And when you see when that intimacy is cultivated, like with Moses, when that intimacy is cultivated, like with Joshua. Balaam had intimacy with the Lord, but that intimacy wasn't cultivated. And then all of a sudden, you know, he couldn't hear from the Lord. And then all of a sudden, he, Balaam, you know, he gave counsel to Balak on how to defeat Israel. And then he was killed. Balaam was killed because he walked away. He fell away. He didn't cultivate that intimacy with the Lord. And, you know, we give these examples, but you continue through the Old Testament and it's like, boom, Ruth, boom, Hannah, boom, Samuel, boom, Amos. It's like one right after the other. And when you understand the formula, it's not hard. It's not hard at all. But who is it that will align themselves to the word of God? You see, sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Not in accordance to false doctrine. Not in accordance to the false teacher. Not in accordance to the, you know, somebody who says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Not in accordance to somebody that says, let's go grain soaking. Not to, in accordance to somebody who says, God is done with Israel. No more promises to Israel. And when you're a Berean, these are things, the word of God is spiritually discerned. The spirit of the Lord is the teacher and the one teaching and showing. And it's, it's so simple. There is simplicity in Christ. There is beautiful, beautiful simplicity in Christ. And as a person grows and matures, as you, my beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, as you grow and mature in Christ, it's not like the Spirit of the Lord is going to help you as a new believer and then he's done with you. No. The Spirit of the Lord is going to help you in all aspects of growth and maturity. He's going to help you go from, you know, from baby to adolescent, from baby to toddler, from toddler to, I don't know, you know, kid, from kid to uh, adolescent, from adolescent to, 
you know, maturity, moving on to, you know, young adults, and then from adults to, you know, you know, adult adults, and then from that, you know, to higher echelons of maturity, the, the Spirit of the Lord, He's not going to help you as a baby, as a new believer, and then, like, He's done with you. No. The seal of the Lord, the Spirit is the seal of the Spirit. But don't forget, it is entirely possible to extinguish the Spirit. That's why it is written, do not extinguish the spirit or do not quench the spirit as most translations say, which is to extinguish. And the Bible says, don't do that. You see? Just like we see the silence of the Lord in the Old Testament and how Samuel had ears to hear, Paul had ears to hear, Peter had ears to hear, Timothy had ears to hear. Titus had ears to hear. And it's Titus in this particular study in the book of Titus that is, you know, a point of focus. The focal point is always the Lord. But a point of focus being Titus. Paul pouring into Titus. And so we see here in verse 1, Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God. A bondservant of God. Now remember, bondservants have the opportunity to be free. It's a servant who has served his time or, you know, served her time because, you know, females can be servants too. But don't forget, pastors, elders, always male. But this bondservanthood, it's a servant, you know, in accordance to the law. A servant who has served his time. A servant who has served her time. And... When there's that opportunity to be free, that servant denies that opportunity and says, Master, I love you. I know I have this opportunity to be free, but I deny that opportunity and I want to be your bondservant. Very special. It shows the servant's love of the master. Now, the master could be like, you know, no, I'm sorry. You know, that, you know that's nice. I'm done with you. You know, you serve your time and we're done. But the master could say, okay, put your ear over here on the, you know, the doorway of, of the, the threshold of the, you know, the door of the, of the, of the, of the place of the house of the residence. Put your ear over here and the master would pierce him or pierce her, the ear. You see, and so if you're a guest in the master's house and you see there's a servant and you're like, wow, that guy's got a ring. That lady's got a ring in her ear. Then you know that, wow, that's a bondservant. He loves his master. She loves her master. And not just that, the master loves them. And that's what Paul says. A bondservant of God. Don't forget he's Jewish of the tribe of Benjamin. But at the same time, he's also a Roman citizen, a, a plethora of rights as a Roman citizen, and yet he denies those rights. And he refers to himself as a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ or a, a messenger of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect or God's chosen. You see? Don't forget, you know, people... Kind of make it a blanket statement. And I see this, you know, highly among the Calvinist and Reformed theology folks. You know, it's a theory. It's not biblical theology. 
Because, oh, you know, I didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose me. And therefore, you know, who he chooses, he never loses. Where, you know, that paraphrasing of what the Bible says, and absolutely the Bible says that. But don't forget, you know, you 12, Jesus says, you 12 I have chosen and one of you is a devil. So 12 he has chosen and one of whom he has chosen is a devil. You see, straight up indwelt by Satan. That's Judas. So it's not a blanket statement, but you know, okay, he, he chose me. So, you know, that's it. I'm good to go. Well, don't forget in the marriage proposal, you know, a guy doesn't go to a girl and say, hey, marry me, get in the car and, you know, pick her up and throw her in the car. No, that doesn't happen. A guy says, you know, will you marry me? He made his choice. He chose her. Will you marry me? He chose her. But there's another choosing that has to happen. And that is the bride-to-be. If she decides to be, if she says, yes, she's the bride-to-be. But she could say no. It's not a blanket statement where, you know, you know, oh yeah, I'm good to go. My, my, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm of the elect. I am chosen by God. Why? Because he says he chose me. Okay. But just like, just like a guy who gets on his knees, you know, will you marry me? Now, a guy who proposes and says, will you marry me? It's not a done deal. You can't, you know, plan the wedding, you know, get the cake. You can't send out invitations. You can't do that. Because there's that moment of silence, you know, will you marry me? Now the lady has to respond, you know. She could say like, you know, no, I just wanted, you know, I just wanted steak and lobster for dinner, you know. I, I you know, the, the, that you know, I I I I didn't have this in my mind. I I wasn't even thinking about this. You know, I just wanted to you know get some spaghetti, get some you know steak and lobster. You see, and then the guy chose wrong. She has a choice to make. She could say yes or no. She could say no. I'm sorry. You know, no, I I I didn't have that in mind. I just wanted steak and lobster. That's it. Or she could say, yes, I will marry you. You see? Now, when she says, yes, I will marry you. The guy made his choice. Now, she has made her choice. But, there's something else. The wedding, that hasn't happened yet. That's a future event. You see? It puts things in perspective. Because, you know, yes, God chooses. Remember, the Lord knows the heart. He chooses. But then at the same time, who chooses him? The Lord chose Judas, Eklagoma. But Judas did not choose him. Judas did not Eklagoma him. You see, there's two choices involved. It's not just one choice. There's two choices. The husband or, you know, the guy and the lady. Two choices involved. Jesus and you. You see? Now, 
when we understand that, okay, Jesus chose me and I choose Jesus. When a person says that, when I say that and you say that, understand the wedding is pending. People say, oh, we're the bride of Christ. Yeah, that's very forward looking. And, you know, I can, I can, I'm on board with that. You know, the bride of Christ. But understand the wedding hasn't happened yet. It's it's a forward-looking statement to refer to the church as the bride of Christ. The wedding is still pending. You see? I mean, what bride do you know? What bride-to-be do you know? I mean, I shouldn't phrase it that way because, you know, certainly it, they exist. Where the, a wedding is pending, you see a couple that is engaged. Except the bride-to-be, instead of staying faithful to the husband-to-be, instead of being faithful to the, to, the, to, to the guy, goes off and does all kinds of different, you know, the, the works of harlotry. And I don't mean to be grotesque in saying that. The works of harlotry, you know, sex with this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. The whole time she's got an engagement ring on. And I don't mean to, I know that's grotesque in saying that. But the Bible refers to spiritual infidelity unto the Lord in exactly that manner. The harlot, a whore. That's what the Bible refers to such a person as. Understanding that the wedding hasn't happened, that means you and me We must stay faithful. You see? And that's what shepherds do. They help the bride-to-be stay faithful unto the Lord in preparation for her wedding. That's what shepherds do. The ones who are called. The full package shepherds. That's what shepherds do. So when the guy comes, you know, hey, toots, come over here. Hey, lady, come over here. You know what the shepherds do? They kill them. Those are wolves. They, I mean, metaphysically speaking, I don't mean like they, they, they kill them, you know, carnally. They, they kill them. The weapons of a warfare are not carnal. But that's what shepherds do. That's what Paul does. But Paul can't make the choice for everybody. He can teach, he can preach, he can proclaim, he can write his letters, but people have to make the choice for themselves. He can't pick somebody up and throw them through the door. You see? He can't throw them through the door and then lock the door so that they stay there. No, he cannot do that. Timothy can't do it. Titus can't do it. Nobody can do it for another person. All you can do is speak to a person. I mean, in the shepherd capacity, in the pastor capacity. You can't carnally pick up somebody, you know, and lock them down in church. No. Because a time is coming and is here now, what Jesus says to the woman at the well, where people will worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And a person, male, female, young, old, that's irrelevant. But a person, when the formula is right in a person, in accordance to sound doctrine and the word of God. Now, we're not talking about pastors, but just the formula inside of the Christian. 
The Lord sees that. And he responds. The seal of the Holy Spirit. But it's in, in accordance to very special blueprints. People say, well, I believe in Jesus Christ, so, you know, I have the Spirit because the Spirit made me believe in Jesus Christ. But that's not what the Bible says. Don't forget in the book of Acts, when Philip was the evangelist, he would go and proclaim Jesus Christ and proclaim the good news. You see people come to Christ. A group of Christians, they believe in Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit. For as yet the Spirit had not fallen on any of them, and yet they were still Christians. They believed in Jesus Christ. That obliterates the entire theory found in Calvinism, also found in Reformed theology, one and the same, Presbyterianism. No, the Spirit doesn't make anybody Christians. We're not robots. Oh, but I believe in Jesus Christ, and I can't believe in Jesus Christ without the Spirit. Why not? You have people in the Bible. People in the Bible who believe in Jesus, but they don't have the Spirit. You see, the Spirit of the Lord fell on them and came into them, but it was after they believed in Jesus Christ and after they came to the Lord. You see? These shepherds of the Lord, these pastoral epistles, Titus and Timothy, it's very special. And not very special in terms of exaltation of the shepherd. Very special in terms of exhortation of the Lord. And how he has called these shepherds to prepare the bride, the bride-to-be, for her wedding day. You see? That's it. I mean, it's, it's, it's really simple. It's, it's crazy simple. It's insanely simple. The problem is that people like to complicate it with religion. They like to complicate it with, you know, hey, do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But when you love the Lord and you fear the Lord, these things become pleasing to do. All of a sudden, it's like, wow, I don't like the alcohol. Wow, I don't even want the crack. Wow, I don't even want the sex. Wow, I don't even want the Buddha. I don't even want the Mary. You see, I don't even want the Ouija boards. And you could have a past that has all of that, you know, the whole bag, everything. But when you fall in love with the Lord deeper and deeper and deeper, supernaturally, things of this world start to become grotesque to you. You see? And that's what happens. And you see that. Old Testament, New Testament. There's something different about this guy. When, you know, the status quo, everybody is going one way. You know, dead fish go with the flow. Dead fish go with the flow. And everybody's going one way. But wow, there's something different about Moses. There's something different about Joshua. There's something different about Caleb. You see? There's just something different. Remember the, the five daughters that, that came to Moses asking about the inheritance? There's something different. I mean, just the boldness for these, you know, females to come asking about inheritance. It's like there's something different about them. And the Lord responded, you know, Moses was like, well, you know, 
He wasn't like male chauvinist. It's like, oh, you're female. Get out of here. No, he says, okay, valid point, point taken. Let me check with the Lord. He goes and checks with the Lord. The Lord says, yeah, they have an inheritance. Ah, Moses comes back. Okay, you know, the Lord says, good to go. You have an inheritance. The first generation, male in the book of Numbers. First gen- first census, dead, male. Second census, alive, promised land, female inclusion. An Old Testament example of first generation in accordance to the faith, but then, you know, and, and you know, uh, born into Adam, but second generation in accordance to the faith. Uh, in Christ, there's no male, female. You see? You see how simple it is? I mean, it's so, I mean, if you're a new believer and you're listening for the first time, you're like, whoa, that, you know, you say it's simple, but oh my goodness, that's a big deal. Yes, it's a big deal. But all these studies, they're archived, you know, you, you listen to them. Old Testament and New Testament, you know, if you're a new believer, if you're not a believer, come to Christ. Hit pause, listen to the message, how to come to Christ and come to Christ. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Repent, be washed of your sins. You come back and you listen, we grow together. But if you're, and you do that, you're a new believer, praise be to the Lord. These studies in the pastoral epistles, they're pretty hardcore. I'm the first to admit they're pretty hardcore. But you know, you go to the the the, the uh, 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 um, how to grow in Christ. There's a section. You, you go to the the uh, the website, thewayunderground.com, and there's a portion there. There's a section there. You know how to grow and mature in Christ. And all these studies, they're archived. You listen and you grow and you have your Bible open and you read and you study and you follow along. And you know what happens? We grow and mature together. As one, ecclesia, koinonia, a remnant of these last days. Yes, there's a degree of separation. Yes, there's a degree of separation. And it breaks my heart. But it's not in perpetuity. Because we will be together. A family of faith. Heirs of Abraham. Bowing to the Lord. Son of the Most High, Jesus Christ, which is a future event. But in preparation for our wedding unto Him, we study the Word of God and we yield to the Word of God. And the Lord has called certain people to shepherd those who are His in this truth. You see, which is the truth of God's holy word. And that's what Paul is writing about here in verse one. It's in accordance to the faith of God's elect, but it's a very specific set of blueprints, the word of God. And we see here in verse one and the acknowledgement of the truth, you know, the acknowledgement of truth, you know, it's translates in the Greek. It's to be fully acquainted with and discerning of truth you know how strong delusion which you know is is a result of not loving the truth but this is the exact opposite of that it's a profound love of the truth there's no strong delusion in this mix when a person when you when me together we're in the same boat 
When you and me have a profound love of the truth, we are so far distant from strong delusion, but rather the wisdom that comes from the word of God. And that's what this is, the acknowledgement of the truth. Which, acknowledging the truth, there is a love of truth. And then he continues to write, he says, which accords with godliness or holiness. See, holiness doesn't have to be an elusive thing. Sometimes people wonder, you know, what is holiness? You know, we live in a world where there's no concept of holiness. But that's the world. Corinth is Corinth. The world is the world. Holiness isn't an elusive thing. It's found in the pages of Scripture. But where are the teachers? Where are the pastors? Where are the shepherds? Where are the overseers? Not the defunct. I know that there's thousands and thousands, 10,000 teachers. I know they're out there. They're everywhere. Churches on every corner. But I'm talking about instruction and righteousness so that holiness isn't an elusive thing. This is all a result of a profound love of the truth. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. Don't forget, always, Old Testament, New Testament, the Lord never changes. He is reactionary. He responds. He knows those who are His. You see? And don't forget, of the unholy and profane, there is a process for cleansing. There is a process for cleansing. For the unholy and profane to become holy and righteous. But the very specific formula, I mean, look at Paul. Before he came to Christ, look at Paul. You see, unholy and profane, killing the saints. Look at Paul. Look at us. Look at you. Look at me. I mean, I can't speak of your experience, but of my experience, unholy and profane, you know, 25 plus years ago. You see? Only the clean can clean. And that's what's so beautiful about the Lord. I mean, among a trillion, bazillion, infinity times infinity, other things. You see how good he is? It's powerful. The gospel, the good news, is the power of God unto salvation. It's not a, 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 a sales pitch. You see, it's the power of God unto salvation. And the Lord sees, the Lord knows the hearts. You see, only the clean can clean. And understand that carnality, carnality is is is, is not a, a, a good thing at all. Now, we're in the flesh, but, you know, we're in this world, but we're not of the world. We're in the flesh, but are we of the flesh? Well, now it's an individual choice. Who is it, male, female, that reckons the old man dead, that reckons the old woman dead? Because carnality is comes at 
a very heavy price. Remember in, in the state of Corinth? Not the state, but I mean like the state of Corinth. 100%. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. 100%. 5, the hammer drops. 6 on, we're not talking 100% anymore. We're talking a smaller portion. Could be 70%, could be 50 could be 10%, could be 3%. I mean, when you look at the Old Testament, remember, you know, of that first generation, only Caleb and Joshua and Caleb and Joshua speaking to the multitudes. And when you look at the census from numbers and you look at that second set of numbers, it's that's that percentage. It's, we're not talking 50 percent. We're talking point zero 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 three percent. Everybody was defiled except for point zero zero three percent, point zero 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 three percent. So when we speak of remnant, I say 50%, but you know, it could be 70%. It could be 20%. It could be 3%. You see? I mean, when we think of holiness, I mean, like verse one, according to the faith of God's elect and acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness or holiness. Now, you look at Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. You take a guy, a guy in the church who's having sex, straight up sex with his dad's wife. Paul says not even the Gentiles, not even the non-believers do that. Now, let me ask you a question, point blank. Is that holy? Is that holy? See? And yet that was in the church. The drunks, the extortion, all these things. Is that holy? Now, we're talking holiness. We're not talking like, you know, is it a funny guy? Is this, does this guy, you know, does he make me laugh? Does this lady, is she, you know, uh, fun to drink with? We're not talking that. We're talking holiness in accordance to the word of God and the word became flesh. Is that behavior holy? I mean, it's kind of a dumb question because it's so easy. Even a non-believer can say that's not, I mean, you, you see like atheists and non-believers today. They're like, oh, that's not very Christian. You know, they, they throw it in the face of Christians. Oh, that's not very Christian. That's not very Christian. Even the unholy and profane have an idea of what holiness is. You see? Sexual relations, you know, pornography, the strippers, the prostitutes, the alcohol, the crack, the drugs, the extortion, all kinds of different things. Is such behavior holy? And these are what the shepherds, the shepherds teach. The ones who are called of the Lord. Now, remember, we're talking full package. We're in the pastoral epistles. Remember our introduction to the, to the introduction to the pastoral epistles? And we understand package, not package one, not zero package, not package one, not package two, not package three. We're talking full package, which when you're talking, you know, full package, you know, package four, 
Package 4 includes everything in package 1, 2, 3, and 4. So we're talking full package. Shepherds that are qualified, biblically qualified, called by the Lord. These aren't people who say like, well, you know, I want to do good for my community. So I think I'm going to be a pastor. I want to do good for my fellow man, my fellow woman. So I'm going to be a teacher. No. These are people where the Lord says, hey, you're my guy. Hey, you're my gal. And when I say gal, that's, you know, teaching ministries, female to female, women to women. But of the male, it opens the door for pastoral and elder ministries. Overseers. These overseers, the full package overseer. Very special. And I don't mean special in terms of like, wow, you know, this guy is awesome. No, very special in terms of the full package formula. Very special in terms of these are people who are biblically qualified. These are people, men, whom for you and me, it is safe to submit ourselves to. Because they're not going to say, hey, wash my car. Hey, clean my house. They're not going to say, you know, hey, you know, cut my grass. They're not going to say, you know, turn you into a slave class. You see, they're not they're not going to do these things, but they're going to train you and equip you in the ways of righteousness because, you know, you are the field. You are the building and workers called by the Lord work in that capacity to care for the field, to care for the building in accordance to holy blueprints. You see, with the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness or holiness. Remember, this is a one-on-one letter, Paul to Timothy. He says in hope, which is, you know, this hope here is hope, but it's with the expectation and the anticipation of eternal life, which God, who who cannot lie. Now, this eternal life, don't forget, that's like, Marriage, when, when the marriage happens. Remember at the beginning when I said that the, you know, uh, the, the marriage hasn't happened yet? You know, it's true. It hasn't happened yet. But when the marriage happens, that's eternal life. That's our glorified bodies. He says, which God who ca- cannot lie. Now, it's very important. Understanding the formula is a big deal. It's a huge deal. Do you remember in Deuteronomy 31 how in one chapter... The Lord says, I will not forsake you. But in the same chapter, he says, I will forsake you all in the same, all in the same chapter. You, you, mockers, non-believers, atheists will say, you, you, you see, God lied. He says he won't forsake you. And then in the same chapter, he says he will forsake you. You see, God lied, they'll say. But that's not the case. That's not the case at all. Because in Deuteronomy 31, when he says, I will never forsake you. And then he says, I'm going to forsake you. Well, when he says, I'm going to forsake you, you read a couple verses before that. And the people forget the Lord. They become apostate. They forget the Lord. That's what happens when Joshua and the elders die. There's new leaders, absolutely. But in the new leaders, the formula isn't right. And when the formula isn't right, 
Israel becomes apostate. They become harlots. But the same thing applies when the formula isn't right in a pastor, in an elder, in an overseer. Because the biblical Jesus becomes forgotten. You see, they're leaders. They're absolutely leaders. But they're disqualified. They disqualify themselves. And so in reading verse 2, understand that the Lord, he cannot lie. He doesn't lie. He doesn't lie. But we must understand what sound doctrine is and what the word of God teaches. In accordance to formula. And this hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie, promised before time began. Very important. Before the law. Before the promise unto Abraham. These holy blueprints were in place. In the beginning, the word was with God. The word was God. And the word became flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. You see? And we see in verse 3, but has in due time manifested or rendered, became rendered apparent his word. How was his word manifested? Through preaching. You see? Through preaching. To preach. To preach. Anybody can do it. Anybody can preach. But when you understand formula, you will know who is qualified, who is called, and who it is safe to submit to. You see? And when you understand formula and you see like, okay, this guy, he's full package. This guy is my instructor. I will submit myself to him. You see? They're going to train you. They're going to equip you. They're going to help in preparation for our wedding unto the Lord. Anybody can preach. Anybody can call themselves a preacher. Anybody can call themselves a pastor. Anybody can call themselves a, a, a teacher, a prophet, a minister. Anybody can refer to themselves in that manner. But are they biblically qualified? Remember, the Lord leaked these letters because he wants us to know. And this word of God, which is manifested through preaching, Paul says, which was committed or entrusted to me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. Remember what he says to Timothy? This is God's doing. You know, the, the Lord called me to serve him in this capacity. He's saying it to Titus, it's the command of the Lord. This isn't something where Paul says, well, you know, I want to do good for my community. Don't forget, this is a prison letter. Paul's in jail. Paul's in prison here. And soon he will be killed. This isn't Paul saying, you know, I, I want to feel good about myself. So I think I'm going to be a pastor. No, this is the Lord who has called him to serve him in this capacity. You see? Remember when the Lord revealed to Ananias, he is my chosen vessel. And this letter, one-on-one -on -one letter, it's to Titus. It's not to a church. It's not to a church. It is to Titus. 
Now, we, we are the church. When we see it, we have the, it's in the full counsel of the word of God. You know why? Because the Lord leaked it. The Lord leaked it so that we can know what the qualifications are for pastors, for elders, for overseers, so that we can know who is it that it is safe for me to submit to. Himenaeus, not safe. Timothy, safe. Titus, safe. Alexander, not safe. You see? And he says to Titus in verse 4, a true son or legitimate and genuine son in our common faith. Common faith, it's shared in union, close companionship. One-on-one letter. And he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see, you get an inside look at this very small bubble. Just like we get an inside look of, you know, Paul unto Timothy. We get an inside look of Paul unto Titus. Very special bubble. Small bubble. Tiny bubble. It's not the big bubble of, you know, letters to the churches. It's not the, you know, the, the, uh, the medium-sized bubble of, you know, exhortations for ministry leaders. It's a tiny bubble of exhortations to overseers. Those who are qualified. Biblically qualified. And so we see here in verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete. Now, this is a prison letter of Paul. One-on-one letter. Paul to, Paul to Titus. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you, this is a charge from Paul to Titus, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, the things that are translated as forsaken, destitute, and found wanting. And this is Titus's charge, to make it straight, to put in order. You see, this isn't to, you know, this isn't according to, you know, like uh, the natural man or the carnal man. This is supernatural. It's of the spirit. Of the spirit. Put these things in order. You see? I mean, sometimes... Christians, we can get ourselves dirty. We can get ourselves dirty. Now, who is the one who is biblically qualified to, just like in the Old Testament, Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan. Remember our study through Leviticus? Come on, let's get, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. I don't care if you're male, female, you're dirty, let's get you cleaned up. You see? Because what happened, you know, just like the shower example, we're not the water, we're not the soap, we're not the shampoo, but we have to get in the shower, you see? And when that doesn't happen, a person could get pretty stinky. I mean, you don't have to go outside and wallow around in the mud because, you know, after a couple days, you're going to be pretty ripe. I don't mean to be graphic, but, you know, let's be honest. After a couple days, I mean, you know, uh, some people, it's like immediate, but after a couple days, you're going to be pretty ripe. You see? And there's people who say, well, I know the Bible. I've studied the Bible. I, 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 I studied Genesis to Revelation. I read it once. I know what it says. And so I don't need to study again. Well, you know, don't have that mentality. Because it's like, okay, you don't have to wallow in the mud. But in the course of time, you're going to be pretty funky. 
You see? Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. Who are the ones that are biblically qualified? Let's get you cleaned up. Gently. I mean, it's not like, you know, let's get you cleaned up and we're going to use a wire brush. Let's get you cleaned up and we're going to use, you know, Brillo pads. You know? No. Let's get you cleaned up. It's gentle. Let's get you cleaned up. A cleansing from the word of God. So that a person can realize in acknowledgement of the truth. Now, with acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness, as is written in verse 1, there is also the acknowledgement of, you know, I'm dirty. There's the acknowledgement of sin, like, oh my goodness, I'm dirty. And then comes the acknowledgement of truth. And with the acknowledgement of, oh my goodness, I'm dirty, what happens? Now I need to jump in the shower. Now we're not the soap, we're not the water, we're not the shampoo. But we still got to get inside, you see? And the shepherd, you know, will help in that process of understanding like, oh my goodness, I'm dirty. I had no idea I was dirty, but this qualified shepherd explained it. And now I realize like, oh my goodness, I'm dirty. What do I do? And through careful study of the word of God, a person realizes, oh my goodness, I need to be cleansed. Let's get you cleaned up. You see, that's holiness. That's how holiness is learned. I mean, 25 years ago, you asked me about holiness. I might have had an idea, you know, Buddha. You know, I might have had an idea, you know, Mary. But it was that, you know, that itself is evil. Wickedness, satanic of the devil. Because I had no idea what biblical holiness was. But getting cleaned up, being in the word, being taught, being trained, being equipped. It's a process. It happens in time. Remember one of the, one of the indicators, what Paul says to Timothy, not to, to let no one be a novice. It can't be, you know, a person comes to Christ as a brand new believer and it all of a sudden is a pastor, a ministry leader. No, because that a new believer isn't equipped. But as a person grows, as a person matures, becomes equipped and trained and learns how to fight, all of a sudden, anybody can say anything they want. And the Bible can be referred to, no, you're wrong. No, that's wrong. No, this is wrong. No, this is wrong. Oh, you think you know everything? No, but it's kind of easy. It's what the Bible says. You see? It's beautiful. It's powerful. And so we continue our study here. And so we see here that Titus is called and charged to set things in order, the things that are lacking in verse 5, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Now, to appoint elders, this is to ordain, set, and designate. And remember, Titus, he's in a tiny bubble of Paul. He is not like the average bear. He knows all about formula. All about formula. You see? Today, we have people who are 
I'm doing my air quotes, ordained ministers. But it's in accordance to carnal and worldly passions. Ordained minister. But the Bible warns us. The Bible teaches us about what somebody who is designated, appointed, and ordained in accordance to holy formula. The Bible tells us. And that's what Titus's job is. That's what his charge is, including included in this overseer capacity, is to appoint elders. And in so doing, he's setting things in order, the things that are lacking. Now, to appoint elders, it's not just, you know, hey, we need a warm body over here. Very specific formula. Titus knows what he has to look for in a man, qualities in a man. And I say man on purpose because ministry as elders Always male. Pastors, elders, always male. Always male. In accordance to the Bible. Now, in accordance to doctrine outside the Bible, in accordance to a lie, female pastors, female elders. But that's in accordance to a lie. See, in accordance to the truth of God's holy word, coverings, always male. And that's the charge of Titus. Appoint elders, put things in order. You could look at Crete and you see it as like a, a quasi-Corinth. Things are kind of a mess in Crete. Put things in order. And not just in Crete, in every city as I commanded you. And so now we see these qualifiers for those who are to be appointed as elders in verse 6, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, not wife number two, three, four, five. Oh, we have irreconcilable differences. So I'm on wife number eight. No, sorry. Doesn't work that way. Disqualified. You see, the husband of one wife, not one wife in 10 concubines. Not one wife and 20 strippers. Sorry, disqualified. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife having faithful children. Very interesting. So now the home is open to scrutiny. Now the home is open for examination. Faithful children. Not accused of dissipation, which is... Asotia in the Greek, asotia, which is without soso. You know what that means? Without salvation. Unsavedness is how it translates in the Greek. Not accused of dissipation or insubordination, which is to be disobedient and unruly. You see? In order to understand if a man is qualified to be elder and serve the Lord in overseer capacity, you don't just look at the man. You look at the wife, you look at the kids. You see? Biblically, the family is open to scrutiny and examination. You see? So is the overseer a man? Okay, he meets... You know, biblical qualification number one, check. See, does he, is he married? Okay, now you examine his wife. 
What's up with his wife? Is his wife a believer? Is his wife a crackhead? You see, is his wife alcoholic? Is his wife crazy? You see, is his wife, you know, cheating, you know, unfaithful sexually? The family is open to scrutiny. Then you look at the sons. Does he have sons? Okay, what's up with them? Are they crackheads? Are they on sex? Are they doing the Ouija boards, the Buddha? Are they into the occult? Then you look at the daughters, okay? You know, are the sons and daughters, are they sexually active? Are they Buddha? Are they Mary? Are they, you know, the Ouija boards? Are they crackheads? Are they doing their lines, their meth? Are they cooking spoons? You see, what are the works of the flesh? Are they walking according to the spirit or walking according to the flesh? Oh, but he's a godly man. He's a godly man. And so what if his wife's a crackhead? So what if his wife is crazy? So what if his wife is alcoholic? So what if his wife cooks spoons? You're judgmental. You see, people submit themselves to the wrong person. Just like we spoke about very recently, like the cab. Remember the Uber? The Uber? The guys, you know, zigzagging on the street, hits a, you know, fire hydrant, hits a light, hits a mailbox, you know. Hey, are you, you know, are you this person? You say, yeah, I'm this person. He says, get in the car, I'm going to take you to point B. You get in the car, you're on your way to point B, and you fly over a cliff, and you blow up and die. Who was the fool? You see? And that's what people do. They get in the Uber, they get in the cab when the driver's disqualified. You look at everybody in the car, you know, say the Uber driver, the cab driver, he has his wife and kids in there. You got to sit in the back row. You see, they, you know, zigzags all over the place. Or what if he drives straight? He drives straight. He says, hey, are you this person? You say, yeah, this me. And you look at him. Okay, he looks, he looks okay. But then you look at the wife, she's passed out with an empty bottle on her lap. You look at the kid, the son's on his cell phone watching his pornography. You look at the daughter and she's doing, you know, chakras. She's got her crystals and everything. You cannot get in that car. Because the driver, he is disqualified. Why? Because of his family. That's why. Because of his family. No alignment to holy formula. Do not submit to such a person. They disqualify themselves. You see? Do elders stay elders? Do overseers stay overseers? Maybe. Maybe. But there's a very specific formula. Or maybe they become wolves. Which is possible for shepherds to become wolves. Biblically, it's possible. Remember our study in Acts 20? Even becoming a wolf, that has a process. Remember, the family is open to scrutiny. Because in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, another pastoral epistle. Remember, these, these are very specific letters. Paul, who wrote a letter to Timothy. Paul, who wrote another letter to Timothy. Paul, who wrote a letter to Titus, and we're looking at Titus now. 
but we have this backdrop of the letters to Timothy. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, if an overseer cannot oversee his family, how can he do it in the church? How can he do it in the church? A church, the church of God. How can he do it? And that's why the family is open to scrutiny and examination. Because if you have a wife, you have the elder. Oh, but look, he, he looks like a godly man. He looks like he's godly. Okay, that's nice. Let's, let's, proof is in the pudding. Let's look at the pudding. Let's open the door to the pudding. What's up with the wife? She's alcoholic. She's crazy. She's straight up schizophrenic. You know, she's like, like uh, multiple personalities. She's like straight up crazy town. If he's an overseer of his own home and he can't biblically oversee his wife, how in the world can he do it in the house of God? How in the world can he do it in the house of God? You see, it's not to say that, oh, he's going to burn in hell is to say, no, he's not going to burn in hell is to say this guy, he's disqualified from being elder. Why? Because of wife. And if it's because of wife, it's her own, you know, there's issues there. It's not to say, hey, you know, you're kicked out of the church. You're out of here. You know, you're leaving. No, it's to say, listen, we got work to do. You cannot be an overseer. You are disqualified from being overseer. You see? But let's get you cleaned up. There is healing in the Lord. There is healing in the Lord. Your wife? Yeah, she's crazy. But she needs healing in the Lord. You see? Oh, but he's a godly man. He's a godly man. Okay, if you say he's godly, proof is in the pudding. Let's open the door of the pudding. What's up with the sons? You see, sexually active, doing their crack, cooking spoons. Okay, disqualified. It's not to say, hey, take your family. Your family is going to burn in hell. No. It's to say, hey, listen, we got to care for your family. Let's get everybody cleaned up. You cannot be elder. But let's get you cleaned up. Maybe one day, you know, the Lord can use you in that capacity. But as it stands right now. No, the formula is wrong. You see, look, crazy wife, you got, you know, son who's doing his sex and, you know, cooking spoons. Proof is in the pudding. Let's look at the daughter. Daughter's Buddha, you know, worshiping Buddha, worshiping Mary, all these things, you know, her chakras, her crystals. Okay, sorry. It's to say, hey, man, get your house in order. Because if there's to be order in the church, there better be order in your home. There better be order in your home. I mean, when you go into church for the first time, I mean, it's one of the biggest difficulties in the last days is finding a church. I know that there's millions and millions and trillions and gazillions of churches. They're everywhere. I, Bajillion pastors, they're everywhere. A quadrillion elders, they're everywhere.
but who is qualified? Biblically qualified. They got the pastor parking spot. They got the overseer parking spot. They got the elder parking spot. But who is biblically qualified? You see? And when you go into church for the first time, one of the hardest things, finding a church. But even that's prophetic. Remember, judgment comes first to the house of God. You look at sound doctrine, you know, where is the doctrine? Calvinist? Sorry. Not sound doctrine. Reformed theology? Sorry. Not sound doctrine. You see? Money preachers? Sorry. Wrong formula. Doesn't work that way. Replacement theology? Nope. Doesn't work that way. So finally you're in a fellowship, okay? I think this is right. The doctrine is right. Okay, you know, you look at the pastor. Okay, the pastor, okay. He's on his fifth marriage. Sorry. Wrong formula. You cannot submit. I mean, I can't force you to. You can, but it's like getting in the in, in the cab, you know. Picture like, you know, I'm on the fifth floor of the building across the street. It's a hot summer day and I have my window open and I'm just there, you know, just sipping on a glass of water. It's late at night. You guys see the cab, the cab swerving and you're about to get in the cab. I see you thinking about it and I'm screaming out, don't you dare get in the cab. I can't force you. But it's a hot summer night. You got places to go. You want to go home. And it's late at night. And he's the only cabbie. And you look up. You hear my voice. You look up and you see me. I got my glass of water. I got a smile on my face. And I'm saying, don't you dare get in that cab. And then you shout back, but I need a place to sleep. And I say, welcome aboard. You know, come on up. I can't force you to get in the cab or not get in the cab, but I can tell you, listen, you know, you want to get to point B? No, you're going to fly off that bridge with that driver. You see? The driver who has his wife next to him and the kids in the back. You got to get in the back row of the van. You look at the wife, you know, the driver looks like he's fine. You look at the wife, she's got an empty bottle. She's passed out with an empty bottle in her lap. You look at the son, okay, he's doing his pornography on his phone in the back seat. You look at the daughter, she's got her eyes closed and her hands lifted up with her chakras, praying to her chakras, you know, her crystals. But the driver, the dad, he looks like everything's good to go. But when you examine the family... No, he's not. He's not good to go. He's disqualified. Don't get in the van. Don't you dare get. Remember, it's a hot summer day. I'm on the fifth floor of the high rise. Hey, don't you dare get in the van. I take a little sip of my water. Nice smile on my face. Then you shout up, but I have no place to go. I want to get home so I can sleep. Hey, come on up. You see? The family is open to scrutiny because remember, the overseers, the job of the overseer is to oversee. I mean, that's kind of like, a, you know, a, a, you know it, it, it's in the name, you know, the overseer is to oversee. 
but to oversee. There's a formula to those duties, but there's a formula to the overseer. Biblical qualifiers. Is this guy qualified? You see? Now, today, when you scrutinize the family understanding formula, you can see that there are pastors, there are elders that have no business whatsoever in the matters of these holy offices of pastor and elder. They disqualify themselves. When you understand the formula, you can see this guy has no business at the pulpit. This guy has no business to be overseer. Oh, but he looks fine. Yeah, looks can be deceiving. But he looks fine. Yeah, look at his wife. But he looks fine. Okay, looks can be deceiving. Look at the kids. You see, and Titus's charge, clean house. Clean house. Verse 5, set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders. You see? And then the qualifiers in verse 6, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. You see? And, you know, part of me wants to say it's more of the same. And I don't say it more of the same in a bad way. Sometimes people say, oh, it's more of the same, more of the same, kind of roll the eyes, more of the same, more of the same. But I don't say more of the same in a bad way. I say more of the same in a very good way. Because Paul doesn't say, Timothy, hey, Timothy, conduct yourself like this. And hey, Titus, conduct yourself a different way. No, it's the same formula, same blueprints. What he says to Timothy, you see correlation with what he says to, to, to Titus. Because remember, Timothy is like uh, pastoral, a little bit of elders there too. But in the office of overseer, you have pastor and elder. It's the same exact formula. I mean, you might see some variation between pastor and elder. Very little. But in the office of overseer, you must understand, you know, the package deal. Package one, two, three, four, full package. You see? And where you see full package, you know, you know that it is safe. It is safe for me to submit to this guy. It is safe for, you know, my wife to submit to this guy. It is safe for my kids to submit to this guy. It is safe for my husband to submit to this guy. I mean, if you're female, you know, it is safe for my husband to submit to this guy. It is safe for my kids to submit to this guy. But this guy over here, fat chance. That ain't happening. This guy over here, fat chance. Not on my watch. This guy over here, not on my watch. The Lord leaked these letters for us. For us. He says in verse 7, for a bishop, this is episkopos in the Greek, which is an overseer. A bishop. 
a bishop must be blameless. This is according to formula, according to formula. Because, I mean, leaven, leaven, leaven. I mean, when we're talking the Corinthian leaven, I mean, we're talking like, you know, sex, alcohol, extortion. They had plenty of blame on Paul. They could say, hey, Paul's so mean. You know, he's Paul is full of blame. Plenty of blame to go around with Paul from the perspective of the leaven. You see? Paul's not without blame to the leaven. But understand, that's leaven. You see? The bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. A steward is, you know, as the as the, the 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 master of household affairs. A steward of God. This is of the Lord. Of the Lord. Now, in stewardship unto the Lord, it better be in accordance to what is pleasing to Him. What is pleasing to Him? Well, that is understood. It is found and understood in the pages of Holy Scripture. Understanding the what the word says, the nature and character of our Lord, what is pleasing to him, what is not pleasing to him. His rule book. And the word became flesh. And this bishop who must be blameless as a steward of God in verse 7, not self-willed. Not self-willed. I'll say it again. Not self-willed. I mean, when you think of the flesh, the carnal nature, the desires of the flesh, pastors, carnal pastors, in accordance to the flesh, they want the big church. They want the big church for the wrong reasons. That's carnally minded, self-willed. Oh, I want a big church. I want a big church. You see? Because the full package pastor will not have a big church. Look at the full package Paul. Saints are leaving him. Saints are leaving him. The believers in Asia, they've all left him. You see? Don't expect the age of the megachurch. Those days are over. I mean, you still see megachurches today, but that's like judgment. The church in these days, these last days, the church is entering judgment. The church is entering judgment. It is prophetic. It will come to pass. It must come to pass. All of scripture will be fulfilled. The steward of God cannot be self-willed. Not quick-tempered, he says. 
You see, this formula that the Lord leaked to us in these pastoral epistles, understanding this formula, it helps you, it helps me. Because when we understand the formula, you know, you know, Paul, there was plenty of blame unto Paul. But understand, that's from the perspective of Levin. Understand who is speaking. A person can say, oh, Paul is quick-tempered. Look, he's got plenty of blame because look, he's quick-tempered. He's mean. He's angry. Whoa, why do you, why do you say Paul is angry? He kicked me out of the church. Whoa, Paul did that? Yeah, he sure did. He's so quick-tempered. He's angry and he's not without blame. Be very careful with Paul. He, he really kicked you out of the church? Yeah, he did. Don't go to him. Don't let him be your teacher. Don't submit to him. He is dangerous. Well, why did he kick you out? Oh, because I'm having sex with my dad's wife. What? You see? It's no big deal. He's so judgmental. He's so mean-spirited. So what if I have sex with my dad's wife? Well, that's kind of a big deal. I mean, put yourself in Chloe's sandals. I'm so in love with her. I can't wait to meet her. Do you know how hardcore it is for, I mean, for a person to go against the grain? Dead fish go with, go with the flow. But for a person to go against the grain... But then for a female to go against the grain, do you know how hardcore it is? I mean, in, the, in, in, in that age, that's so hardcore. It's like, whoa, <laughs> I can't wait to meet her. She just blows me away. But put yourself in her sandals for a moment. Picture the flack that she got. Not going with the flow. Not wanting to be a part of the of the church body. Oh, you're so divisive. You can't why well, you you think you're too good for us? You think you're too good for you're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. You're going too far with this Jesus business. You see? You put yourself in her sandals and see and understand. That's not just hardcore. That's a very special, unique hardcore. The good kind. Oh, Paul's so mean. Paul's so mean. Why? Why? What did he do? He doesn't want me to fellowship here anymore. Why? Because I'm having sex with my dad's wife. Okay. You see, Paul has blame. Paul could be considered to have blame. Paul could be considered to be quick-tempered. But when you understand formula, understand who makes those claims. Because Levin has a mouth. Levin has mouths. And they speak. Now, once a person is leaven, there is opportunity for them to be clean and join the camp again, which we see in 2 Corinthians. 
Not for the rest of 1 Corinthians, but we see it later in 2 Corinthians. You see? To be grafted in once again. Understand. Leaven and remnant. Make that distinction. 1 Corinthians 1, 100%. 2, 100%. 3, 100%. 4, 100%. 5, hammer drops. 6, not 100% anymore. Maybe 50%, maybe 30%, maybe 10%. But it's not 100%. You see? It is a remnant. From 1 Corinthians 6 on, and then 2 Corinthians, it's the remnant. 2 Corinthians would be the remnant plus the former leaven, which is grafted in again. Make that distinction. And so we see here that this bishop, this episcopos, this overseer, must be blameless as a steward in verse 7, a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, which is frequent or excess drinking, the wino. Can't be that way. Can't be that way. Oh, but Paul says to Timothy, he says, drink a little wine. Then you see people make excuses. Well, the Bible says, Paul says, drink wine. So look, I'm going to get drunk tonight. Paul says, drink wine, so I'm going to have some Chablis, some Merlot with my pasta. They make excuses. The carnal makes excuses for the carnal. The flesh makes excuses for the flesh. But the godly lives godly. The holy live holy. He continues, not violent. Not violent. Now, Paul, before he came to Christ, violent. You see? Having Christians beaten, stoned, thrown in prison, dragged away women and children and daughters and sons, dragged away, thrown into prison, killed. Very violent. Before he came to Christ. In Christ, So gentle. So gentle. Now, the leaven could say, wow, Paul's not gentle. He kicked me out of the church. But why did he kick you out of church? Oh, I was having sex with my dad's wife. No big deal. You see? When the leaven speaks, know who's speaking. Not greedy for money. This is filthy lucre, dirty money. Not greedy for money. But hospitable. See, there's the alternative to these things. You know, the, the, the bishop must be blameless, a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. But then we have the alternative, the good alternative, the fruit of the Spirit. Hospitable. You see, there's this framework of safety for hospitality. Because it's so beautiful to be hospitable. It's the fruit of the Spirit. But within the framework of holiness, there's also inherent danger to that. I'll give you an example. Say you have a defunct pastor. A defunct pastor who does not keep the house of God clean. There is no order in God's house, the church. And you have a defunct pastor, defunct elders. Now, 
inside the church, you have the drunkards, you have the extortioners, you have the sexually immoral. Say you have a guy who's having sex with his dad's wife, just like was in Corinth. And in that fellowship, the Bible says, bear one another's burdens. The Bible says, be hospitable. And so you take that guy and say, hey, come on over for dinner. I want to introduce you to my daughters. You see? One's 15, one's 16, one's 17, one is 18. I want to introduce you to my four daughters. Unbeknownst to you, the guy's a sex head. And his sexual perversion has gotten to the level where it is, you know, he's having sex with his dad's wife. And you're in the fellowship of the defunct, the defunct pastor, where the pastor's failing the Lord, disqualified, disqualified. In accordance to a holy formula, the pastor is disqualified. The elder is disqualified. Now, when they're disqualified, they disqualify themselves. But now you look at who's within that framework of the defunct. Where there's no correction. The house of God is dirty. It's not clean. And you're in that, say you're a brand new believer. You don't understand holy formula. And you just figure, okay, this is the church. I want to be nice. And you say to a couple guys, hey, come on over. I want to have you over for dinner. Introduce you to my four daughters. And both of them are having sex with their dad's wives. Sexual deviancy. Can you see how dangerous that is? Can you see how dangerous that is? It is of utmost danger. Beautiful, beautiful daughters. Brought up in the Lord. I mean, say you're a new believer and, you know, they're not brought up in the Lord. Still beautiful daughters. They're, your daughter in the Lord loves godly offspring. And so you're a new believer, but you're training them in the ways they should go as best is unto you. It's as, as best you know of scripture. And you're new in the church and you figure, well, I want to do good. And so, hey, come on over. Let me introduce you to my family. Here's my daughters. The Bible says I got to be hospitable, so I'm going to be hospitable. But if you're hospitable to a wolf, that's dangerous. That's dangerous, my friend. A lot of times Christians get into a whole heap of trouble. Christians who've been Christians for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and they don't understand formula. And with not, without understanding formula, they attempt to live godly, which is a good thing that, you know, the attempt and the, the desire to live godly is beautiful. But don't forget, Satan is crafty. Satan is crafty. And so he has his servants who present themselves as ministers of righteousness. And what they do 
these wolves. They will not correct. They'll teach on the good things, but they will not correct and teach on the painful things, the hurtful things, in order to bring to holiness and deeper into holiness and deeper into intimacy and a deeper relationship with the Lord. And so, well-meaning Christians. Oh, the Bible says I got to be hospitable, so I'm going to be hospitable. Hey, come on over. Stay. I'm going to be hospitable. Come on over to my place. You need a place to stay? No problem. Stay here a couple weeks, however long you need. You're going through the cabinet say, where, where, where's my prescription? You know, I'm in pain. Where's my prescription? Unbeknownst to you, the guy sold it. The guy sold it on the, the guy cooked it. Cooking his spoons. You see? You're going to have a nice meal. You open the china cabinet. Hey, where's my china? Where's my china? Unbeknownst to you, the guy sold it. Why? Drug money. You see? Oh, but I'm trying to be hospitable. Listen, it's beautiful to be hospitable, but there has to be holy framework. Holy framework to understand, yes, be hospitable, but you cannot be welcoming of the wolf. You cannot be welcoming of the wolf and Christians get into trouble. Then you see, you know, everybody, you know, tossed to and fro by all kinds of winds of doctrine. You know, they figure, well, you know, like, you know, oh, I'm trying to be hospitable. I'm trying to be loving. I'm trying to be gentle. I'm trying all these things, the fruit of the spirit. Beautiful. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. And so they get all these New York Times bestsellers. Maybe I'll learn how to do this. Maybe this guy will help me. Maybe this lady will help me. Maybe this will help me. Maybe the, and never able to come to the truth. Why? Because there's no parameters of holy framework to understand. No, you cannot be hospitable to the wolf. You see? To bear one another's burdens, very beautiful. But you're going to have your 15-year-old daughter bear the burdens of the sex head? The guy who's sexually active with his dad's wife? You're going to have your daughter bear his burdens? He's going to have your daughter bear his burdens? No way. No way. That cannot happen. You see, the Lord's house must be clean. The people must be clean. And only the clean can clean. The defunct elder, like, you know, you have an elder, he looks holy. Okay, proof is in the pudding. Let's look at the pudding. What's up, you know, what's his doctrine? You see? What's his doctrine? Oh, he's reformed theology. Nope. Disqualified. It's not sound doctrine. What's his theology? Oh, he's the money preacher. Okay. Disqualified. That's not sound doctrine. You see? What's his formula? Oh, he goes grave soaking. Okay. Not the wrong formula. What's his, what, what's the, what's the pudding? What's the pudding? Let's, let's look at the pudding. What's the pudding? Oh, he's a, a coalition. God has done with Israel. No. Wrong pudding. Sorry. Okay, so the pudding looks good now. Okay, what's up with the wife? She's crazy, schizophrenic, alcoholic, crackhead, cooking spoons. Okay, disqualified. What's up with the son? He's doing his sex. He's doing his, you know, pornography. He's doing, you know, whatever. Okay, disqualified. What's up with the daughter? 
You know, she's doing her chakras, her crystals. Okay, disqualified. Disqualified. Only the clean can clean. Within the framework of holy formula and sanctuary, when you have that, you know it is safe. That fellowship, you're going to have babies, you're going to have adults, you're going to have super mature, you're going to have everybody, you're going to have babies making baby mistakes, you're going to have mature making mistakes. But there's going to be that overarching formula of the parameters, the framework of righteousness in accordance to holy blueprints and accordance to the word of God. A pastor who is qualified, elder who is qualified, and overseers of the house of God where it is safe for your son to bear the burdens of another guy. It is safe for a lady to bear the burdens of another lady. It is safe for a boy to bear the burdens of another boy. It is safe for a girl to bear the burdens of another girl. You're going to have love feast. You're going to have gifts of the Spirit when the formula is right. Gifts of the Spirit. Oh, but that's for 2,000 years ago. The fool says. The unbelieving fool. That's for 2,000 years ago. That's not for today. That was for another dispensation. The Holy Spirit doesn't work that way anymore. Says the fool. Well, why don't we see the Holy Spirit like we see in the book of Acts? Show me a church today like the book of Acts. Show me a church today, like the book of Acts. You find that, you will find love feast. You will find gifts of the Spirit. You see? Oh, but that's for 2,000 years ago, says the study Bible guy. You know, oh, he's got his doctorate in theology. So what if it's honorary doctorate, but it's a degree in theology? Study Bible guy. So what if he says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved? No big deal. He's qualified. Look, he's got the fruit. What's the fruit? Look at the people, a lot of people. That's not fruit. That's people. You see? Very specific formula, very specific recipe. You and me, we must profoundly, deeply love the truth of God's holy word. No matter how much it hurts. Because you do that. And you'll see. You will have eyes to see. You will have ears to hear. And the Lord will guide you. The Spirit of the Lord will guide you and teach you and help you to yield to the Lord. That's how He works. The Lord knows those who are His, as His Word says. There's the seal of the Spirit, as the Word says. You see? You say, wait a second, that, this is too hardcore, this is too much. Listen, I'm just a messenger. It's the Lord who leaked these letters, pastor to pastor. This is how Paul speaks to Titus. When you look at the tenor of Paul and the tone of Paul, it's, number one, you look at the difference of church. I mean, it's, it's different from Corinth and Philippians. There's a different tenor, which is based on obedience. You see, it's a little 
a little harsh with Corinth. But then you look what's happening in Corinth. That harshness is apropos. You look at not so harsh with Philippi. Why? Look at the obedience of Philippi. They have good pastors, good teachers, good elders, good overseers, qualified overseers, fulfilling their ministries in accordance to the word of God. But then you get to the pastoral epistles. Not how Paul speaks to the church, how Paul speaks to overseers. You see? How Paul speaks to overseers. Why? Because there's a different charge. It's to oversee those who have a God-given responsibility to shepherd God's people. You see? In verse 8, but hospitable, a lover of what is good or virtuous, sober-minded, which is a sound mind and self-control. Sober-minded. Just, which is equitable and right. Equitable and right. Holy. Self-controlled. Now, you say sober-minded. I thought that was self-control. Yes, it is self-control. But this last part, self-control, in verse 8, it's Strong in self-control. Strong in self-control. Do you remember in our study in the book of Acts, if you've been walking with us for a while, if you haven't, you know, listen to our study through the book of Acts. Do you remember when Paul was speaking to the elders of Ephesus at the Miletus meeting? And he says, after my departure, the wolves are going to come in. And even from among yourselves, you will become wolves. Now, is Paul boasting and saying, well, on my watch, that's not happening. No, he's not boasting at all. But he's just laying it out. Listen, after my departure, this is what's going to happen. And don't forget, this letter, first, or, or Titus chapter 1, or, you know, or Titus, you know, this letter. I almost said first Titus, but, you know, Titus. This is written in about 66 AD, which means what happened in Corinth and Galatia, that already happened in 66 AD. It's fresh for Paul. It's fresh for Titus. It's fresh for Timothy because They've seen the destruction that followed the defunct. They've seen the destruction that had followed the Pseudodelphos. They've seen the destruction that followed the servant of Satan. Paul saw it happen. Don't forget self-control is fruit of the Spirit. And it is Titus. And a very tiny bubble of Paul. Who needs to establish order, verse 5, to bring order, to establish order and designate elders. And Titus, he knows the formula. He's got to look for the hardcore. Where are the hardcore? Not just run of the mill. Where are the hardcore? This is strong in self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. You see? 
Because to be strong in self-control, you're not going to be given to wine. You're not going to be self-willed. You're not going to be quick-tempered. You're not going to be violent. You're not going to be greedy for money. Why? Because you're strong in self-control. You see? And so we continue in verse 9. Holding fast or adherence. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. You know, the word, as Paul said to Timothy, is not in chains. The word, which is not chained, must be passed on from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. And in proper stewardship of those who are called to serve in the office of shepherd, and I'm speaking of pastors and elders, have a very specific responsibility. God-given responsibility. You see? Where God says, I'm going to use you to shepherd. I'm going to use you to teach. I'm going to use you to preach. You are my vessel. You see? When you understand formula, you know what to look for. And holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine, not false doctrine, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. You see? Which is to invoke, warn, beseech, admonish, convict, find fault, rebuke the gainsayers. And contradictors. You know what a gainsayer is? A gainsayer is a person who declares something to be untrue. That's what a gainsayer is. Now, anybody, anybody can say that's not true. Anybody can say that. But it needs to be proven biblically. Biblically, it needs to be proven. You see? Because Paul could say, you know, he could say something in accordance to sound doctrine. But babies don't understand sound doctrine. So the Delphos and the servants of Satan who present themselves as ministers of righteousness... They want babies to stay babies so that they can muddy the waters. Remember, they're servants of Satan. They're agents of Satan. You see, a, a, a servant of Satan can say, hey, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. You know, because once saved, always saved. So go ahead, take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. A servant of Satan can say that. But is it true? You see? Is it true? In accordance to the Bible, it is false. Now, the opposite is also true. Somebody could say, hey, don't take the mark of the beast because you're going to burn in hell. A pastor could stand at the pulpit and say, don't take the mark of the beast because you're going to burn in hell. 
And somebody could stand up and say, nope, that's not true. That's a lie. That's a gainsayer. Somebody who stands up and declares it, that's not true. Okay. What does the Bible say? You see, it must be proven biblically. What does the Bible say? Since the Bible is our ultimate authority, what does the Bible say? You see? And understand knowledge of the Word of God. It's a gift of the Spirit. It's a gift of the Spirit. When Paul says to the elders in Ephesus at the Miletus meeting in Acts 20, and he says, after my departure, the wolves are going to come in, and even some of you guys will transform into wolves. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says. The wolves will come in, and even some of you guys will be wolves. It's three years after 1 Corinthians and Galatians was written. Paul, he's already seen the effect of the defunct, the powerless, the false teachers, the twisters of truths, the wolves, and the servants of Satan. That was, we're three years after the fact in Titus. Today, we're 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years. What do you think the state of the church is going to look like in the last days? Not pretty. Not pretty. You look at the church today, what do you see? It's not pretty. Remember, this is a one-on-one letter. Paul to Titus. You see? There was one time I was speaking with a quote-unquote godly man. People referred to him, oh, oh, this is a godly man. He was an elder, you know, served in the capacity of, you know, ministry leader and, you know, and, you know, an overseer capacity. And we're having this conversation. And he says, you know, in, you know, uh, um, uh, Isaiah chapter 10, the Bible says this. And I was like, wait, hold on a second. That's, that's second Chronicles. Well, you know, the Bible says this and, you know, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, the Bible says, no, 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 no. That's Acts chapter 16. Look, you you need proof? Look, I got a Bible right here. You want to open it up? I can show you right here. You should have seen the face on this guy. I wonder how many people, how many people... He had the appearance of holiness. Like, oh my goodness, wow, this guy really knows his Bible. In talking to people and just blatantly saying, oh yeah, the Bible says in, you know, Isaiah 10, the Bible says in, you know, Chronicles here, the Bible, just throwing out numbers, throwing out, you know, oh, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 2, oh, the Bible says in, you know, Acts 10, and just throwing out these things. And people just took it. They put up with it. Wow, this, this guy really knows his stuff. And I don't say this in a boastful manner. But you should have seen the look on his face. We're having a conversation and he's like citing scripture and he says, oh yeah, the Bible says here, here. And he's speaking like like he's a brainiac, like he's such a holy guy. I'm doing my air quotes. Wait a second. That's not where it is. You say the Bible says this here, but no, 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 no. That's what, that what you reference, 
That's over here. And what it's referring to, it's referring to this situation. You see? And you should have seen the look on his face. Like he's caught. His act. The lights came on. You know, he's got, you know, this, like I'm, uh, like, a, like putting on a show, putting on a front. And the lights came on. The high beams came on. Exposed as a fraudster. You see? The, the knowledge of the word of God, which is a gift of the spirit, it will help you. So that you can identify, wow, that guy's wrong. Wow, that guy's wrong. Wow, that lady's wrong. Wow, that lady's wrong. That guy's wrong. And it's not in an elitist mentality. It's like, oh, look, I know my stuff. No. It's going to go into paradise. There's a destination to this walk. Very special formula, very specific formula, very specific blueprints. And Satan, he has his servants. You see? And so, look what happens here. We see that, you know, to, to identify who is qualified, who meets the biblical qualifications for episcopos, the overseers. And then at the same time, we see here, okay, in verse 10. In verse 10. For there are many insubordinate or disobedient. Both idle talkers and deceivers. Now, idle talkers translates as idle and fruitless talkers. You see, it's just just a speech. Have you ever listened to a sermon? And it's, it's just a speech. You listen to a sermon, it's like it's just like, like a pep rally. And you're sitting there and you're like, oh my God, like this is like, it's pep talk. It's like an ego boost. It's like self-esteem. And that's all it is. There's no power. And then you see the preacher guy, they got to, you know, tell their jokes, keep it interesting. They got to tell their jokes. They use a special, you know, special skill in speaking, you know, but it's carnal. It's carnal. It is not of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, when you see the formula and it's right, and you see, understand that the knowledge of the word of God is a gift of the spirit, not the greatest gift. The greatest gift is love. And then you see how knowledge is pouring out from a vessel. And the vessel itself is not old wineskin, is new wineskin. You know, just like Paul might have been a little violent in his BC days. But now we're talking in Christ, not before Christ. Now we're talking in Christ. A guy who's reckoned the old man dead. New wineskin. That wine that pours out. It is not contained when it pours into old wineskin. But when it pours into other new wineskins, 
I mean, we're talking about like, like the epitome of holiness in a fellowship in the body of Christ. We're talking about straight up love feast. When the formula is like breathtaking. Shepherd. Sheep. Lambs. Cleanliness. And I say cleanliness, but purity. New wine. New wineskin pouring into not old wineskin, other new wineskin. Like we're talking the church of the book of Acts. Gifts of the spirit. I know kids who have the gift of the spirit. Multiple gifts of the spirit. Children. The formula is right. Children who have gifts of the spirit. And yet you have adults, the so-called, so-called the knowledgeable ones, the so-called, you know, learned class. Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. The spirit doesn't work that way anymore. Says who? Fool? That's false doctrine. You see? Children, don't forget that the children of Philip, the evangelist, prophetesses. His daughters, prophetesses, you see, gifts of the spirit, right formula. The formula is right. The church today is in trouble, big trouble. But you know what to look for. As we do this deep dive in the pastoral epistles, you know what to look for. You see, I'm of the strong opinion that the last day's church is tiny church. Very strong opinion. And I can make a strong case from the Bible. Very strong case. That the last day's church is not the mega church. It is the tiny church. And if it is not the tiny church, it is the home church, the home fellowship. But even that presents its dangers because the Bible, prophetically speaking, says a man's enemies will be under his own roof. You see? And we look at what are the qualifications for overseers and Paul indicates, inspired of the Spirit, what are the disqualifications? You have the idle talkers in verse 10. It's just a pep talk. Pep talk, pep rally. You go you go to church and you're in church and for about a month, it's like, okay, this is interesting, you know. After about two months, it's boring. After three months, it's super boring. After four months, it's super duper boring. You know why? Because using the flesh and the carnal nature, the pastor has to use skill of the flesh to keep things fresh. And so you'll see like one month, it'll be like, you know, everybody's laughing, smile on their face. And a month later, everybody's kind of like bored. Okay, you know, pep rally's gone. And then the third month, it's like you see these new tactics in place. New tactics in place. We got to keep it fresh. We got to keep it fresh. 
Because they know these pseudodelphos and these servants of Satan, they know if they don't keep it fresh, then people are going to be on to us. See, they know that. And they call it ministry. Well, you know, the Lord is doing this. We got this ministry over here. We got to keep it fresh. And the Lord is calling us over here. The Lord is calling us over here. We're going to do this. And, you know, look, we're going to have mega church, mega church, mega church. And it just grows and grows and grows. It's like, wait a second. It's growing. It's got the numbers. But where is the Lord? Where is the Lord? You know how easy it is to have a mega church? It is insanely easy. You need some capital. But if you have capital or access to capital, it's insanely easy. Almost criminally easy. It's too easy. It's so easy a caveman can do it. It's so easy that cavemen do do it. Foolish men. You see? Sudadelphos, the servants of Satan. No Jesus. It has the semblance of holiness, but where is the Lord? You take Hillsong, for example. The wicked abominations that were happening among, I'm doing my air quotes, the so-called shepherds of Hillsong. Wickedness. But then you look at the masses, the people. It looks holy. But remember, only the clean can clean. Only the pure can purify. Aboda, aboda, mishkan. Hearken to our studies from Leviticus. But it looks holy. Okay. But what is it that's being taught? Where is the doctrine? And then when Hillsong was exposed and found out and the sin came to surface, you know what's sad? You have these pastors, pastors, other churches, partner churches, and then they start to say, well, you know, because of this, we're going to distance ourselves from Hillsong. Well, because of this, we're going to distance ourselves. But who was the pastor that distanced from from Hillsong 10 years ago? Why is it that you see this distance from Hillsong when everything's exposed? When the fruit of false doctrine was shown long ago. You see? Oh, you're too hardcore. Well... (laughs) Narrow road, my friend. Narrow road. Don't forget. Remember the warehouse example we gave several weeks ago? A warehouse of a thousand people. And in 10 years, it's going to be zero. And the days are cut short. So we're at year nine. It's not going to be a thousand. It's not going to be zero. But it's going to be fewer than a thousand. A lot less than a thousand. And that's what the Bible says about the last days. That no flesh would be saved, even the elect, unless those days were shortened. And praise be to the Lord, because the days are shortened. Remember, Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? 
Will he really find faith? What will be the condition? Let's forget the world. What will be the condition of your heart when he returns? I'll put it to you another way. As the bride-to-be, what will be the condition of our heart when the bridegroom comes? Knowing that prophetically speaking, there's going to be ten virgins, five are foolish, five are wise. Of the foolish, those lamps will burn out. They're not ready. They don't have oil for their lamps. And I'm too hardcore. Because when you understand the scriptures, understand that perilous times aren't just coming. Perilous times, they're already here. And speaking of these overseers, remember the episcopos. In verse 10, there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, seducers, deceiver, misleader of the mind, especially those of the circumcision. This is the law. Remember, Galatians, it's already written. It has already happened. Attempting to be righteous through the law. If righteousness could come through the law, then Jesus died in vain. That's what Paul says. That's what the Bible teaches. Speaking of this kind of bishop, this kind of overseer who is identified as disqualified. Verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped. You see? Whose mouths must be stopped. Now, people could say, you see, Paul's mean, Paul's crazy, Paul has lost his mind, he's crazy. Number one, this is a one-on-one letter. <laughs> this is Paul to Titus. Okay. Number two, this is a carnal. Paul's not saying, hey, punch them in the mouth, not, you know, break their jaw so they can't talk. Paul's not saying that. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Number three, God's house must stay God's house. It must be clean. Remember in Genesis, Bethel? House of God, very beautiful, very beautiful, very safe. But when you get to the minor prophets, it's the Lord who says, don't you dare go to Bethel. How is it that Bethel, house of God, can be good, but then in the course of time turn bad? It's the same place. I mean, geographically speaking, it's the same place, Bethel. But the condition of the heart, the minds of the people, it is not the same. And in the course of time, the Lord says, don't go there. You see? What about today? What about today? When you understand the formula and the recipe of the pastor, of the elder... 
Remember, to the Corinthian saints, he says to the to, to Second Corinthians, a smaller percentage, he says, you might well put up with them. You might well put up with them, the pseudodelphos, the servants of Satan, who come with another spirit, another gospel, and another Jesus. But what is it that they do? Well, it is written here in verse 11, whose mouths must, must be stopped. But look at what they do. They subvert, who subvert whole households. Translates as they overturn and overthrow. Oikos in the Greek. They overturn and overthrow families, homes, and temples. That's what happens. That's what happens. I remember talking to a guy and he tells me, I'm never stepping foot in church. That's what he told me. And I said, well, why? He says to me, this church, the pastor was caught having sex with a teenage girl. And I know guys in that church, they kept telling me, you know, come to church, believe in Jesus. And this guy wasn't a believer. He, he was talking, I was talking to a non-believer. He's a non-believer. And he's telling me, I will never step foot in the church. Now, one side of me is on board. One side of me is on board. Because that specific church the defunct, unsafe, no way. I won't step foot in that place. But to be closed off entirely, is that good? The answer is no. But when you understand formula, you know what to look for. You know who it is that's qualified, biblically qualified, biblically called of the Lord. Don't look for Mr. Popular because when they're called of the Lord, you won't find Mr. Popular. You will not find Mr. Popular. The saints are leaving Paul in droves. Brat lights, big city. See you later, Paul. You see? See you later, Paul. Bright lights, big city. See you later, Paul. We're done with you. Leaving in droves. And these disqualified. They subvert whole households, which is they overturn and overthrow families, homes, and temples. Now, this guy who told me I'm never going to church again. Completely understandable. Because of what he saw. This so-called pastor is disqualified, absolutely disqualified, had no business serving in that capacity. A wolf having sex with a teenage girl. And you look at this overthrowing of the church. But then you figure this guy who was having sex with a teenage girl Look at the girl has parents who go to that church or who went to that church. The guy, the wolf, had a wife and kids. 
You see what's happening here? Look what was overthrown. The church, the home, the family. It's happening. It's happening. That's what they do. That's what these servants of Satan and the Pseudodelphos do. They subvert whole households. Overturn and overthrow oikos, the families, the homes, and the temples. And Paul says their mouths must be stopped. He stands at the pulpit. He has no business at the pulpit. He teaches teenagers. He has no business teaching. He has no business in ministry. He has no business in the pew. He is a wolf. He is a threat to the sheep. He is a threat to the lambs. Get him out of here. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. How dare you say that? What's the alternative? Overthrown church? Overthrown home? Overthrown family? Divorce? Is that better? Kids who want to kill themselves? Kids who want to commit suicide? Is that better? Kids who go on drugs? Is that better? Because of the depression, they go to the psychiatrist, they go to the therapist, the therapist recommends them to the psychiatrist, the psychiatrist talks to them and says, okay, I'm going to give you on depression medication. Is that better? Now you have zombie kids. Oh, you're so mean, you're so mean. When the wolf is identified, the wolf needs to be killed. Metaphysically speaking, no business at the pulpit, no business in the pew, get him out. He is a threat to God's flock. The flock of God, he is a threat to the sheep, to the lambs of God, a blood-bought people. And I'm the bad guy. You see? Paul says they subvert. Remember, one-on-one letter. He's speaking to Titus. Hardcore old guy to hardcore young guy. You see? Just like with Timothy. Hardcore old guy to hardcore young guy. Serving in pastor capacity. Overseers. Qualified, full package, qualified Timothy, qualified Titus. And these qualified are addressing the disqualified. Remember these leaders, these letters, they were leaked. The Lord wants us to see them, read them and understand them. So that we know when we enter the church for the first time, we sit in the pews, we know, okay, this guy's disqualified. This lady's disqualified. And okay, let's let's see if, if this guy's really qualified. Doctrine, look at the wives, look at the kids. Very specific blueprints. You see? Very specific blueprints. So that in a fellowship, there can be not just love feast, which is beautiful. Then you see the gifts of the Spirit. And it's not fake where, you know, people are uh, speaking in tongues, but it's just gibberish. They say it's tongues, but that ain't tongues. You see real speaking of tongues. 
in tongues and real interpretation straight up thus saith the lord a real prophet a gift of prophecy you know this is coming down the pike this is what's going to happen you know the, you know the lord put this on my heart this is what's going to happen just like agabus in the book of acts when the famine came and before the famine came, Agabus says, hey, listen, the Lord put this in my heart. The Lord told me the famine's coming. So everybody prepare and, you know, the poor people, we're going to take this. We're going to prepare and have food. So the famine came, but the church was okay. The church caring for the church. You see? The real gift of prophecy. Not the fake not the phony, the real. That's powerful. That's like literally powerful, like dunmis, like the power of the Spirit, the power of the Lord through the Spirit. But don't forget, when you have these disqualified, it's... Very dangerous. I mean, you're talking about this is wolf material. When you, I mean, somebody could be disqualified, like they need to go in the pews. They have no business at the pulpit. They have no business of overseers. But sometimes disqualification is straight up wolf territory, wolf material. And the wolf has to be dealt with biblically, but must be dealt with. You see? Because say, for example, the elder who's disqualified is not dealt with. Crazy wife, crazy kids. Then you have, you know, the elder who has a sexually active son. And then you have a daughter who, you know, wants to, you know, you, you as a parent, you want her. You know, a teenage daughter, you want her to, you know, to, to have those gifts of the spirit and exercise the fruit of the spirit. And you want her to bear burdens. And she says, hey, mom, hey, dad, I'm going to go hang out with this kid. Oh, church kids. So it's okay. You know, the church kids, you know, I got a couple guys over here, a couple girls over here. Okay. They're church kids. So it's okay. But it's not okay. Because now you're done. You figure, oh, it's a, it's a, the elder's kid, so it's okay. Look, he's a ministry leader, so it's okay. He's hardcore, so you know, the, surely my kid's safe with him. Surely my kid is safe with his kids. But when you understand formula, you understand that his family is open to scrutiny. And you see his wife is crazy. The kids are crazy. The son's a sex head. The daughter's doing her chakras and crystals and... Oh my goodness, everybody's crazy. And yeah, the, the elder's a nice guy, but you know, biblically speaking, he's disqualified. He has no business at the at the pulpit. He has no business serving as overseer. He disqualified himself. He can't be an overseer in the church. He can't even oversee his home. Now it is dangerous for your daughter to be with these people. See? But where are the shepherds? That's what I want to know. Where in the world are the shepherds? The Bible gives clear instruction. Very clear instruction. And if you're a pastor, the Bible gives very clear instruction. 
Very clear warning. Very clear warning. If you're called to be a pastor, then pastor in accordance to the word of God. I'll say it another way. If you're called to be a pastor, noun, then pastor, verb. In accordance to the word of God. Or step down, repent, step down. You see? Because it's better for you to be accountable for yourself than it is for you to be accountable for the sheep and the lambs. If the formula is wrong in you and you're teaching false doctrine, it's better for you to not have that accountability. So step down. I mean, if the formula is wrong in you. But the faithful servant, like Paul, like Titus, like Timothy, you see? Like Peter, like John, like Matthew. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful men. Overseers, men, called of the Lord. And you see in Paul saying their mouths must be stopped. They subvert whole households teaching things. So teaching. So look, they're teaching. They look like pastors. They look like elders. They look like teachers. But what is it that they feed? Poison. Teaching things which they ought not. For the sake of dishonest gain, filthy lucre, dishonest gain, shameful money. I mean, you look at a guy with a nice car. Wow, he's successful. You look at a girl with a nice car. Wow, she's successful. But how is the money made? Drugs. Sex. There is such a thing as shameful money. I mean, you see people with a lot of money. You see a lady with a lot of money. How does she make her money? Well, she sells her body. She's got a lot of money. She sells her body. Oh, but this is, it's nothing. It's no, no, no touchy touchy. It's all online. Same thing. Dirty money. Filthy lucre. Shameful money. But you know what? Pastors do it. Mega church, mega bucks. And they try to candy coat it and make it sound holy. Oh, I'm a, I'm a church planter. I'm in a church planting ministry. You see? They teach things which they ought not. I mean, remember, this is 66 AD. We are freshly out of 1 Corinthians, freshly out of Galatians on the timeline. And there were, if you remember our study through Galatians, the dangers, the warnings against Hebrew roots. And if you're abiding in the law, you are outside of Christ. Very hardcore study. But the Christians, the saints, they gave ear to these people. They came in the church. Deceivers. Especially those of the circumcision. 
as they started to teach salvation through the law. You see, unbiblical. And it came into the church. And we're like three years deep on the timeline. Today, 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years, but 2,000 years later nonetheless. What do you think the state of the church is going to look like? What do you think the state of the church looks like? You don't need me to ask you. You don't even tell me because we see it. You see? Now, babies, babies don't understand this. They don't understand recipe and formula. Adolescents don't. The mature do. The mature understand. But where are the mature today? Oh, I'm a mature Christian. Who's your pastor? Oh, Pastor Benny Hinn. <laughs> Sorry, wrong formula. I'm a mature Christian. I have a good church. Where do you go to church? I have my pastor's the crazy love guy. That's nice. Wrong formula. Oh, I'm a mature Christian. My pastor is the study Bible guy. He says, take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. My pastor is with the gospel coalition. Nice and godly. Sorry, wrong formula. You call yourself mature, but surprise, you're still a baby. You see? Remember, this is Paul to Titus. And Paul says, their mouths must be stopped. Now, this isn't carnal. This isn't, you know, hey, knock them out, break their jaw so they can't speak. No, that's carnal. That's of the flesh. But of the spirit. You see, when you love truth, remember Onesiphorus? A man who loved the truth and stood with Paul? Put yourself in his sandals. When the Pseudodelphos and the, you know, the disqualified overseers started to speak, oh, Paul's stupid, Paul's crazy, he's so mean. Show me. Show me from the Bible. Where is Paul mean? Because, you know, I submitted myself to Paul and look, um, look at what the Lord has done. I submitted myself to Paul. And look, the Lord cleaned me through his vessel. You say he's mean, but I don't see it. Where is he mean? How is he mean? Well, he kicked this guy out of the church. That guy, what did he do? Well, he was having sex with his dad's wife. Okay. Well, thankfully, Paul kicked him out of the church. You see? Because I got my daughters and I can't have them bearing those burdens. You see? And when you love truth, these th the Lord... The Lord will expose these things to you and show them to you. Because people can turn their back on Paul. Pastors, the, the saints in Asia, they can turn their back on Paul. People can leave Paul in droves. But as for Onesiphorus, who profoundly loves the truth, nope, I'm with Paul. People can leave Paul in droves. But as for Chloe, nope, I'm with Paul. You see, 
In speaking of these disqualified overseers, Paul says in verse 12, one of them, a prophet of their own. I love that. (laughs) Because it's not a biblical prophet. You see, it's not a prophet in accordance to sound doctrine, not a prophet accordance to the Lord. He calls himself a prophet. That's true, but it's of their own. You see? Oh, but he's got the gift of prophecy. It's not a gift of the Holy Spirit to that guy. I mean, the gift of prophecy is a gift of the Spirit, but does that guy have it? Nope. Wrong formula. He says one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans, this is where Titus is. Remember verse 5? Cretans are always liars, evil bees, translates as worthless and wicked, lazy gluttons. You see? Now, where you see Cretans, you know, Cretans are always liars, put a race or nationality there. You see? Oh, those Americans, they're always liars. Oh, those Brazilians, they're always liars. Oh, those Argentinians, they're always liars. You see? That's wrong. Said by a prophet? Said by a prophet? Cretans are always liars, evil bees are worthless and wicked bees, lazy gluttons. That's said by a prophet of the Lord? See, God, God who is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, and supposedly his vessel that he gifted with prophecy is saying that these people are worthless? You see, it doesn't fit. It doesn't align. It doesn't match with Scripture. You see? And when the Lord reveals such people to you, the prophet, the teacher, the pastor, the elder, you cannot submit. You cannot submit. I had an encounter with a so-called prophetess. She called herself a prophetess. Some people acknowledged her as prophetess, but she spoke lies. She spoke poison. Oh, the Lord put this on my heart, and let me tell you something. Oh, thus saith the Lord. Oh, did did you know I have the gift of prophecy, she says? Oh, yeah, I'm a prophetess. And these people, oh, yeah, she's, she's a prophetess. And whatever she says, it just happens. You know, she manipulates. She's making it happen. It's manipulation. Oh, thus said the Lord, the Lord put this on my heart. Like, that's funny. The Lord put something completely different on my heart. Well, let's see what happens. In the course of time, you see the decay and ruin. Proof is in the pudding. You see? Understand, at this juncture, 66 A.D., Saints, they're leaving Paul. Leaving Paul in droves. By the many, many, many saints, they're leaving Paul. 
these pseudodelphos, these false brethren, these so-called overseers, they're disqualified. But Christians don't see them as disqualified. Babies don't understand them as disqualified. Paul does. Timothy does. Titus does. But babies, adolescents, they don't. And remember, we're three years after Corinth and Galatians. First Corinthians and Galatians. In just three short years, Paul, Titus, Timothy, they've witnessed the effectiveness of these disqualified overseers, their effectiveness in turning people away from Jesus. That's just three, three years. I don't mean to laugh at that, but my goodness, we're 2,000 years after the fact, give or take a couple years. In Crete, there certainly can be found the liar, the lazy, and the evil. Absolutely. But understand, that's where the fish are. It's where the fish are. Look at Paul in his BC days before Christ. The evils that he did killing Christians. But in Christ, look at what he's doing to save Christians. For the sake of the Lord, for the name of the Lord, for the advancement of his kingdom. Different guy. Remember, he's the one who says of himself, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He reckoned the old man dead as a pattern for you and me to reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead, and be alive in Christ, being crucified with Christ. What about you in your BC days? What about me? What about us in our BC days? Today, and it's going to get worse. But today there is a major, major clash of doctrines in the church. There is major, major danger in every single way, except for one. There is only one. One way. The real Jesus Christ whose word is above his name, and walking with him, and abiding in him, one way, sound doctrine. Multiple, multiple fake Christs, one of the signs of the last days, one of many signs of the last days. But there is the real Jesus, whose word is above his name. You see? Sound doctrine. In this prison letter of Paul writing to Pastor Titus, he says in verse 13, This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply. Peremptory, which is 
Put an end to it, Titus. Rebuke them sharply. Put an end to it. That they may be sound in the faith. Remember, only the clean can clean. This is a charge unto Titus. Clean. Full package. Faith in the body of Christ that is uncorrupted. This is the good fight. This is the good fight by the qualified. To address those who are disqualified. And the major harm that they bring on the saints. Verse 14, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth or pervert the truth. You see, an understanding of formula and recipe according to covenants and rules of engagement within covenants and the framework of sound doctrine, you'll be safe. You'll be safe. Remember, it's the Lord who leaked these letters. Paul wrote them to Titus and the Lord leaked this. And you know what's so beautiful? Even if understanding has not the depth of the mature, the Lord knows those who are His. I'll give you an example. Have you ever been a young Christian? Well, just hear me out because we've all been young Christians, but hear me out. Have you ever been a young believer or, you know, a a, a believer who doesn't have the depths of understanding that you do now, and you go into a church, and you just get the heebie-jeebies. You get the heebie-jeebies all up and down, all over the place, and it just feels like, oh my goodness, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like home. Something's wrong here. You get the heebie-jeebies. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. You know what that is? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit saying, get out of here. Get out of here. You don't know that this guy is poison. You don't know that this guy is a freak show. You don't know that this guy is disqualified. You don't know that he's a crackhead. He's a sexhead. You don't know that he teaches false doctrine. You don't know it. But you know what? I am yours, you are mine, and I know this guy is poison, so you need to leave. And you just feel, wow, I got the heebie-jeebies. You walk in, you're just like, Ugh, I get the heebie-jeebies. This guy uh, gives me the creep, and you, uh, she gives me the creeps, and you just get the heebie-jeebies. Praise be to the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit saying, no, don't go here. You might not have the depths of the knowledge of Scripture yet. And the Spirit of the Lord will guide you and say, this is your church home. This guy is qualified. His wife's not a crackhead. His He's not a crackhead. He's not a sexhead. He's not doing his alcohol, his Buddha, his whatever. She's not a crackhead. She's not crazy. She's not schizo. The kids, son's not crazy, sexhead. Daughter's not crazy. Chakras, crystals, whatever. Qualified. Qualified. It is safe for you to submit to him. And you go to church. 
And it just, it feels like home. I mean, have you ever, like, have you ever, like, we don't go off feeling. Understand, you know, going off feeling is dangerous. But in the Lord, I mean, we don't close off emotions either. I mean, we don't go off of feelings. We're not led by feelings. But feelings is a part of our emotional experience. And we don't follow emotions, but even our emotions and our feelings are in submission to the Lord. And when there's alignment in accordance to sound doctrine, you might not have the depths of the knowledge of Scripture, which will come in time with a noble heart as Bereans. But the Spirit of the Lord just, you get the heebie-jeebies at church number one. You get the heebie-jeebies at church number two. You get the heebie-jeebies at church number three. You get the heebie-jeebies at church number four. You get the heebie-jeebies at church number five. Heebie-jeebies, church number six. And finally, you're just exhausted. Exhausted. Final. I'm exhausted, but I'll go here. And then, boom. It feels like home. Living water. New wine. It feels like, it feels like family. It, That's Ecclesia. That's Koinonia. That's Episunagage. That's Love Feast. It is rare in the last days and it will grow even more rare. That's That's like Book of Acts stuff. This is like the the recipe for Book of Acts. The church in the Book of Acts. This is the holy recipe for the church of the Book of Acts. But when you look at the church today, you'll see a disconnect. Why? Why is that? Because... People, they don't want to blame themselves. You know what they do? They blame God. They blame the Spirit. They pin it on the Spirit of the Lord instead of looking at themselves and saying, hey, why is there a disconnect? Maybe it's me. Maybe it's the pastor. Maybe it's the elders. I'm going to submit to the defunct. I'm going to submit to this Sudadelphos. I'm going to submit to this servant of Satan. Now, a person does that, you will not have love feast. But the Spirit of the Lord guides. And when you have that, that's, I want to say that that's super special, but that's like so cheesy, it doesn't do it justice. It's, that's like vast amounts of fresh spring water. Living water in the Sahara Desert, in the middle of the Sahara. 
It's rare. But it's out there. And not giving heed in verse 14 to Jewish fables and commandments of men. Remember when, 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 uh, 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 of, of the law? People who come in and, you know, in verse 10, especially those of the circumcision. Oh, you want to be holy. We got to do the works of Moses. We got to follow Moses. No. Remember Jesus? He says, Moses wrote about me. Moses wrote about me. You see? And to follow commandments of man in the giving heed. Remember when Paul says his phobia to the Corinthians? You might well put up with it. And doing so, it perverts away from the truth. Remember, these deceivers, they subvert in verse 11. They subvert whole households. The oikos. They overturn and overthrow families, homes, and temples. Nevertheless, in verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure. That's love feast. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, now understand that defilement is one's own doing. To those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. Translates as the intellect, understanding, the mind and conscience, the inner man, the inner woman. It's defiled. Speaking of the defiled in verse 16, they profess to know God. But in works, which is in acts and in deeds, in works, they deny him. You know, people today say, oh, we're not saved by works. We're not saved by works, which is absolutely true. But there's more. Because if once saved, always saved was true, that would be the end of the story. We're not saved by works, okay? We're not saved by works. So I'm saved, so boom, end of story. I'm good to go for the rest of my life. But that's if once saved, always saved was true. Biblically, in accordance to the word of God, once saved, always saved is untrue. It is false. The biblical formula is once saved, stay saved. But how does one stay saved? Obedience. Obedience to the Lord. What does that look like? Acts, deeds, works, being a doer of the word. Not a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. You see, not a hearer of the word only, but also a doer of the word. You see, they profess in verse 16, they profess to know God. Remember, we're speaking about the disqualified elders, the disqualified overseers. They're overseers. They got the parking spot. They look the part. They dress this part. They profess to know God. 
Surely he's qualified. Well, remember, the family's open to scrutiny. Look at the wife, look at the kids. What do you see? Do you see obedience? Is he a qualified overseer of his own home? With his own family, with his own wife, with his own kids? You say, yeah, they're in submission to him. Well, yeah, because he beats them. They're like robots to him. Wrong doctrine, wrong formula. You see? And where you see the disqualified, speaking of the overseers, you cannot submit yourself to that to such a person. Because the Bible says in verse 16, in works they deny him. Being abominable, the defiled, they are the ones who become an abomination. Disobedient. Remember, they're not doing the word. They they profess to know God, but in works they do not deny him. They're not applying the word of God to their life. They can stand at the pulpit and preach a sermon. It's like a pep talk. It sounds like a speech. It sounds like a college course. They got a smile on their face. Oh, he's got such a nice smile. But is he obedient to the Lord? How does he treat his wife? How does he treat his kids? Is he doing the sex and the drugs? The alcohol? The strippers? The pornography? The gambling? The Buddha? The chakras? The crystals? The yoga? You see? Such a person... He becomes the abomination. Being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. And they call themselves ministry leaders. They call themselves pastors, co-pastors, and elders. But when you understand formula, you realize he's disqualified. They disqualify themselves. And if you're a baby Christian, a young believer, and you love the Lord with a noble heart, and you're a Berean with a noble heart, and you search the scriptures, you still might not know holy recipe. Because you're like a baby. You're still learning into like adolescence. Or, you know, if you're adolescent, you might not know. You're moving in deeper into maturity. But you're in those moments where you get the heebie-jeebies. That's the spirit of the Lord saying, get out of here. Not the bad get out of here, the good get out of here. Get out of here. This place isn't safe for you. You see, that's the seal of the spirit. That's the moving of the spirit, the Holy Spirit. They disqualify themselves. Is odikimos in the Greek. They become worthless, rejected, and reprobate. Remember, they're the abomination. These people who, oh, I'm an elder. Oh, I'm an overseer. Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, I'm a ministry leader. Oh, look, I'm the episkopos. 
you know what to look for. They become the Odikimos. When the formula is not right, they become the abomination, the Odikimos, worthless, rejected, reprobate. And speaking of this evil vessel, it's very interesting because remember in verse 12, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, worthless and wicked beasts, lazy gluttons. Are the Cretans worthless? No. No. They are. These abominations are. They look like an elder. They look like an overseer. They look like pastors and co-pastors. They profess to know God. And they call themselves prophet, pastor, elder, teacher, ministry leader. And yet the Bible, the word of God, and the word became flesh, gives us instructions on who is qualified and who is disqualified. The Lord, the Lord leaked these letters for you and me to understand to the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, saints, remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.